It's a long career to talk about. Come take our last ride and hear about every pay-per-view. We'll break it down from 1990 to the final farewell. There goes a hero watching as he goes. There goes a hero. Take her easy. All right, creatures of the night. Welcome to Talking Taker. Special bonus episode here. Uh, I want to thank all of you out there in the Pod Street crew for joining us for yet another round of Dead Man Talking. Sort of. Not Dead Man Talking. Dave Grohl Talking, if you will. Uh, this We are not digging up the career of the greatest professional wrestling character of all time, The Undertaker, here tonight. And I am not joined by my wrestling buddy, my co-host, my tag team partner, Mr. Travis White tonight. No, no, no. Uh, my name is Alex Dorio. I am one of the co-hosts of this show. And you're definitely going to recognize the face and the voice of who I am with here. He is a frequent friend of the show, frequent guest. Um, I think he's officially in the five-timers club now. I think this makes it. Uh, is that right? Was last time four? I think so. Yeah. Okay. So joining the five-timers club. He is an ever-long fan of the band we're going to be talking about tonight. He is definitely not the pretender. He is someone who was put on earth for times like these. He is Pokey's little dog himself, Mr. Randy Turco. And I give him that introduction because this is a special, unique bonus episode of Talking Taker here. We don't know what to call it yet. So we, we threw it out there. I think I think Randy wants to call it um, Digging Holes and Talking Grolls. Uh, but uh we have been chatting about Randy's all-time favorite band. They're not my number one, but they're my top five. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and give that over to you. you they're your number one, but they, I love them. I've been a huge fan for a long time. Talking about the Foo Fighters here tonight. They just put out a brand new album, their 11th album, but here we are. We've been texting about Foo Fighters. We've talked about Foo Fighters since we met, since we knew we liked Undertaker together. We like Foo Fighters together. I thought, dude, let's just take this conversation. Let's throw it on the podcast. If people like it, they like it. If they don't, who cares? It, it, at least we can just sit here and geek out about the Foo Fighters for a couple hours. Are you down with that? I'm definitely down with that. I'm, I spoke this into existence, I feel like. We've been on the last couple times for The Undertaker, and I, I make my annual-ish uh, guest appearance, and I usually say something to the effect of, you know, we're going to start that Foo Fighters spinoff series relatively soon, and, and here we are. But here we are. <laughs> but here we are. Yes. <laughs> it was fate, man. Uh, so, yeah, like I said, you know, this is this is not what Talking Taker is going to become. We're not making a full transition over to this. Uh, but, you know, since we just do Talking Taker once a month now, uh, I've been just like, you know, I've been hungry for podcasting, man. I, I love doing podcasts. I love uh, doing this sort of stuff. And I, I feel like there's enough of a crossover between Undertaker fans and Foo Fighters fans. There's got to be enough of that here. Um, and, you know, 
like I said, if nobody listens to it, who cares? We're going to have a good time with it. We're going to get back to Undertaker on July 1st. Travis will be back on July 1st. And Travis is a Food Fighters fan. And he, he, he sent me some comments here. He's not at the level that that you or I are. Um, you know, well, if I, this is a Pearl Jam podcast, he'd be here. We And we might do an episode of that. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how this goes. Um, I, and like I said, I, I'm like at an eight of Foo Fighters fandom, eight, eight or nine. Randy's at like a hundred uh, of Foo Fighters fandom. So he's going to have, he, he's the guru here. He is the guru of Grohl. He's going to have the deep knowledge. Uh, but I'm going to come in and share some opinions. And Randy, much like with The Undertaker, you have a long history of uh, uh, fun, exciting, unique stories of following the band, seeing the band and things like that, that I know you're excited to share as well. Yeah. As you probably are aware from what our six friend, six years of friendship and our association, like I have no Crazy. middle gear. Sir. I have no middle gear. If I get into something, I am into it all the way. Um, and so there's just no middle gear with me. So whether it's the undertaker whether it's the Foo Fighters, uh, JFK was my favorite president as a kid. I named my son after him. Like there is no middle gear here. So Minnesota uh, football, Minnesota, Minnesota sports, football. excuse me. Yeah. Minnesota football, especially I, um, you know, I, I came here for college and I, when I moved back home to Michigan, I said, I'm going to come back and have my family here. And people just thought I was kind of having talking hyperbole. And here I am moved all the way back, got season tickets. I got season tickets by myself. Nobody even comes <laughs> time but it's okay <laughs> i didn't even realize that part of it right <laughs> well um you you are pokey's little dog that is your twitter handle and that is and a deep cut reference to the yeah. fighters right there so you know it's just it's in your name it's in your blood uh but i know we've talked a little bit your fandom really began with nirvana right you, you were a big nirvana fan and that's probably what led you into foo fighters so so tell me a little bit about that yeah, it's so funny because I see it, I guess, on Twitter. I've seen people there, like, they take stances between I'm a Nirvana guy or I'm a Foo Fighters guy. And that never made any sense to me because uh, I was into Nirvana. I had a couple tapes. I'm dating myself. I had tapes of Nirvana. I had a couple of them. I think I had In Utero and maybe, oh, maybe Nevermind. And I so said, I think I had two uh, when, when Kurt passed away. And so they were probably like you feel about Foo Fighters. They were in my top five already. I definitely have a, a band I was a fan of. But then when Kurt died, there's there's me and that death thing again, like The Undertaker. And um, I like just dove headfirst in their music. And I, I bought their um, uh, the uh, their autobiography by the guy from Rolling Stone that wrote it. Come oh, yeah. Are. Yeah. Yep. I read that. I just like, dead, uh, dove headfirst into the band and Nirvana. And so I bought all of their uh, stuff like in the months after that Kurt passed away. And they immediately shot up to my number one. And actually... You know, hand on a Bible. Um, Dave Grohl was my favorite, probably. Yeah, uh, I loved the band, but I just, I just thought he was funny. Anytime the drummer never gets a chance to talk, and if they do let him talk in interviews, like he was just hilarious. He had great one-liners, uh, so he was always my favorite guy. And so when a year goes by after Nirvana, and I'm kind of a, a man without a country, they say Dave Grohl's gonna. Uh, I don't even know how, I don't even remember how you find out news without the internet back in 1995 magazines. Like MTV news, maybe a little right. bit. Yeah. And so they, uh, they announced that Dave Grohl is going to be um, in his own band, the Foo yeah. Fighters. Thought, Probably heard it from Kurt Loder. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I thought, great. This is where I'm going. I'm going to do Foo Fighters. I had thought at that time that Dave was just going to be a drummer for a new band that was going to be mm. maybe not a Nirvana lookalike, but just a rock band. And I thought, cool. Kind of like he got offered the job with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers to be the drummer. And I thought, cool, I'll, I'll follow. 
I'll follow him into this new band that he's drumming for. And I had no idea until later that he was going to, I'm like, drummers can just do that. They can just pick up a guitar and be the front man. And uh, I don't think they often can, but this guy could. <laughs> so that's one thing I want to talk about, like, um, because you're a couple years older than me and um, that I'll get into this as we, as we go through their catalog, what we're going to do, what we've talked about is we're just going to kind of go through each album, give some you know quick and yeah. dirty thoughts, talk about favorite songs and memories of each album. Um, it, it may go long. We may end up doing a second episode, but we'll see how it goes here. But I, um, couple years younger and i took a long time getting into like rock and pop music i grew up on country music and um i my dad always liked classic rock and he would listen to that stuff in the guitar i mean in the car not in the guitar but in the car uh but i most of the time i was driving to school with my mom we were listening to 90s country music and that's what still have a deep place in my heart deep deep love in my heart for garth brooks and brooks and dunn and reba mcintyre and all that good stuff but uh I really, I knew of Nirvana and I knew Smells Like Teen Spirit a little bit and uh, probably mostly from Weird Al, to be completely honest. That's probably what I knew more than anything was uh, his parody (laughs) of it. Uh, But I do remember Kurt Cobain dying. I remember seeing that on the news and I remember that being a big deal. And that was probably, you know, the most early exposure I had to Nirvana was in his death. Um, and then I remember like hearing the band name Foo Fighters and thinking, you know, what a funny name that was before I ever really even gotten in any exposure into their music. But um, there was really no inclination that the drummer for Nirvana, Dave Grohl, that he did anything besides drum, that he could sing, that he yeah. played guitar. There's not any Nirvana songs where he sings on, right? Lo- vocals or anything like that. Not really. I, I think uh, Kurt was kind of fully in control of that band. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think he just started at, within utero. He just started to kind of put band credits for other people like, oh, you know, song written by Kurt Cobain, Chris Novoselic, Dave Grohl. So they just started to kind of open up to that. And Dave did sing on uh, a B-side. I think it's a Heart Shaped Box uh, single. The B-side was Marigold. And so Dave sang on that. Oh. So he sang on a, a grand total that I remember one Nirvana song. It was a okay. B-side. Dave later kind of uh, reduxed that and on, on a Foo Fighters album. So right, was right. other pictures of a Marigold when by the time he did that. But uh, so they just started to kind of open up to more collaboration when it all ended, unfortunately. So what was your first memory? Yeah, you, know, you talked about hearing that they were going to start this band. Do you remember hearing a Foo Fighters song for the first time or, or picking up the album for the first time? Yeah, that's funny that you mentioned that. Like I bought uh, at the mall in Monroe, Michigan, where I was uh, living at the time. They had CDs. I didn't have a CD player in my room. My mom and dad did downstairs, but I didn't have a CD player in my room. And so but I noticed that they had they would get import singles from uh, England or Australia. And they had two import singles. This is a call. And they had uh, I'll Stick Around. So this is a call was the radio single that they, I mm-hmm. guess they purposely didn't make a, a video for. And then I'll Stick Around, which they did make a video for. And I had seen the I'll Stick Around video on uh, MTV. And I, again, I, I miss MTV videos. I know there's YouTube out there now, but like, how do you it's get not the same? Yeah. How do you get exposed to new bands? You know, it's just crazy. So I saw that video and I was like, wow, Dave Grohl singing and he's playing the guitar he's not the drummer and this is amazing you know so i went out and i actually bought both of those uh, cd singles and they're actually both behind me on my the oh yes there but um they're both behind me still to this day i bought them before i had a cd player so i couldn't do anything with them but i owned them <laughs> and then uh, when that uh, when the 
actual album came out on July 4th of 95, I was a caddy. So I was the guy that carried the golf clubs for the rich guys, uh, one county over. And I think my mom and dad, they just wanted me to kind of get used to responsibility, earn my own money. And so I was a caddy that day. And on the way home to our home county, I kind of talked my mom. And uh, after she picked me up, I said, can you stop at the mall? I've got $30 and uh, that I just earned. And I wouldn't mind going in there and buying a tape. And she was all down for it. She let me run in there and buy the tape and come back out until she saw the ray gun, the, the gun on the front. Oh, interesting. My mom, even though it's like a fictitious space ray, like uh, the, the uh, disintegrator pistol, the Will Rogers pistol, it's not a real gun, but like my mom did not love that. Um, so she uh, uh, actually listened. She said she she had to listen to the tape and like proof listen to it. <laughs> I don't I don't think there's any swears on the first album. Any uh, any uh, any swears that you can probably make out to the amateur ear anyway? Yeah, I don't think, I don't think there is. So I got away with it. So mom let me keep it after all, but she was not impressed with the, uh, with the pistol, the disintegrator pistol, which if you can and is see that, my- yeah. yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I do have the disintegrator pistol there on the wall. It's not the disintegrator pistol, obviously, but <laughs> I did, uh, I did buy one off 15 years ago. And I want to say it was, I mean, it was, might've been two or 300 bucks and it was, uh, it's a, it's all it is, is a pop gun. It's a cap gun. Yeah. It flashes and I made sure to buy one that still flashes, although I don't try it out a whole lot because I don't want to ruin it. But that's from 1930. What a cool display piece, though. Yeah, that's awesome. And that you probably can't tell from that far away, but I, I put my original tape that I bought that okay. day on top of that gun. So, oh, that's awesome. So, it's uh, I, I that gun is amazing. Uh, mom doesn't love it though, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> she just visited last week. <laughs> well, I, I mean. God, what a what a ripoff were singles, man. I I, I would ne- I never liked buying singles. I did do it sometimes, and I always felt like I, I was getting such a raw deal, spending ten dollars on two songs. You know, when you know the album was gonna come out, and it was gonna be like fifteen dollars for the whole album. But sometimes you just had to do it because there was you know before Napster or or uh, whatever you you could maybe record the song off the radio. But, uh, you know, you had to be in the right place at the right time to have the cassette in your boombox to to record the song on the radio and sit there all day to do that. So it's different times. I wanted the B-sides. you know, And you got to have the B-sides. What if they don't appear anywhere else? And you're True. right. At the time, there's no Internet. I can't get it anywhere else. So what? I need those B-sides. I got to I got to have those. And, uh, you know, I'm glad you brought up music videos. We're going to talk music videos, too, because. Man, I, they're not certainly not the first band to take advantage of music videos, uh, but boy, their music videos are tied in to their uh, success and tied into their identity so much. And um, they were not afraid to be funny with their music videos yeah. and just be entertaining and not try to be cool or, um, you know, but just like have very creative, very unique music videos and i remember that's one of my first exposures to them was the the big me music video the the futos music video and that's what part of what made me become a fan yeah it's one of the i was like going through my uh uh rubbermaid under the guest bed of foo fighter shirts i'm like which one should i wear today and that was one of the ones i got about 25 or 30 of them still and that's one of the ones i saw and there is a white shirt and it just has a a roll of Mentos over the breast pocket and it says Futos. And like, that was the shirt and I bought it apparently. So <laughs> that's great. I love that. Um, So we'll, let's get it. We'll, we'll get into that in just a second. We're, let's big me, of course, their first album. Uh, this is a call. I'll stick around all those great songs. Let's talk about that first album in just a second. But before we dive into the albums, 
We got to give a shout out to our sponsor for today's episode, the sponsor for Talking Taker. And uh, of course, I am talking about Manscaped. And uh, I got to ask all the listeners out there, is your body hair getting the best of you? Are your grooming products DOA? Then this is a call for you. I want you to run. Don't walk over to manscaped.com and use the code TAKEREASY for 20% off and free shipping your entire order at manscaped.com. Randy, we think of Dave Grohl, we think of him with that long, glorious hair and beard, but you know, he's gone through a lot of different looks in his career. He's been clean shaven, he's been short hair, he's had goatees and beards, he's been all over the place. Uh, he, he's like an originator of manscaping, I really think. Before manscaping was manscaping, he did that. Um, do you have a favorite Dave Grohl look? Yeah, one of the notes I took here was uh, when they were kind of come up with the second CD in 97 and they showed Kurt Loder, like you mentioned Kurt Loder, he had the little graphic of, it, apparently it was Dave Grohl, but it was short hair with the goatee right before yes. the color came out. And they're talking about the new album for the Foo Fighters, but I'm like, okay. New album for the Foo Fighters. I'm psyched. Who's this French painter that they've got this picture of? And it, honest to God, took me two or three minutes to go, oh my gosh, that's Dave Grohl. Because I had never seen him with short hair, you know? <laughs> the French painter look. Yes. So we have the uh, the Amish devil for The Undertaker, which I believe you coined. And we'll go yeah. with the, the French painter look for Dave Grohl. <laughs> Well, if you want to recreate the French painter look, or if you want to go with a full beard, or if you want to go clean shaven, let's talk about the Beard Hedger. I mean, this is, I've talked about it many times on Talking Taker. This is my favorite product of Manscaped. It is the best beard trimmer that I have ever owned. And Randy, you're not a beard guy, but I tell you what, you can even use this to be clean shaven. You can take the guard off and get a very smooth clean shave that's what i used to you know trim my neck trim my cheeks i get everything down but the amazing part of it is it's got the 20 different gears on there that you can get you know from just a little bit of stubble or you can keep it uh long but keep it all even and dave grohl man he, he keeps it all even he keeps it all looking good i'm very very impressed he, he's a he's a very good looking man and i wouldn't be surprised if he was doing some manscaping and uh, I tell you what, I, I know when he's running around on stage, I know when he's sweating and, and, and going everywhere, I know he could use a great pair of boxer shorts down below as well. Manscaped's got those. And, uh, you know, probably wouldn't hurt him to use the lawnmower down there either. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> it wouldn't hurt. And uh, if you want to be like a rock star, if you want to look like a rock star, head over to manscaped.com. Use the promo code TAKEREASY for 20% off. Randy, uh, you talked about it last time you were here. Uh, what, what's your what's your number one favorite product from Manscaped? Got to be the um, uh, the weed whacker. The weed whacker. Yep. Got to be the weed whacker with my new blade. I got uh, when you guys had the take your easy code. I was riding on dull blades. I had, you just don't notice it when it kind of gets dull over time. I put that new blade on and I was I was cooking with grease. Absolutely. So you can do that. You can use that code to get a new blade. You can get some beard gel, some hair gel, some body body spray, deodorant, um, the foot spray, which I, I use in these hot summer days. It's all amazing. Manscaped.com. Use the code TAKEREASY, T-A-K-E-R-E-A-S-Y, uh, 20% off and free shipping. I uh, encourage you guys to do that. And we thank Manscaped for sponsoring this and all of our Talking Taker episodes. Now, uh, like I said, let's talk about that first album, man. Uh is just called simply called Foo Fighters self-titled album. Uh, do you know the release date? 
Uh, yeah, it was July, uh, July, was it July 4th, 95? Bingo, July yeah. 4th, 1995, bringing some fireworks here. Um, lead single was This Is A Call, uh, and then they had some other singles, I'll Stick Around, For All The Cows, Big Me, Alone and Easy Target. And of course, famously, um, it's called Foo Fighters, but really Foo Fighters was just Dave Grohl at this point. One guy. Just yeah. one guy, he recorded everything on there. Um, album listing, album tracks. So this is a call. I'll stick around. Big Me, Alone and Easy Target, Good Grief, Floaty, Weenie Beanie, Oh George, For All the Cows, Ecstatic, Watershed, and Exhausted. I mean, when I say this album, man, what are just the, what's the stream of consciousness? What comes to your mind? Yeah. Uh, favorite Foo Fighters song, or at least 1A, 1B for me, after all these years, For All the Cows, not kidding. Number one. Yeah, probably 1A, 1B. It's definitely for all the cows. I just love the um, the Foo Fighters kind of stole. I think they stole, a lot of people stole that formula oh. from Nirvana. And Nirvana, Kurt got it from the Pixies. Where Let's see if you I can have pull it up. There it is. Got it? Okay. But the, yeah. where the song is quiet, and then it's loud, and then it's quiet, and then it's loud. I mean, that's a Pixies thing that Nirvana made popular, and then a bunch of other bands have done it. Obviously, there's an influence there from Kurt to Dave. Um, so I, I love that loud and quiet juxtaposition that we have in that song so for all the cows is one of my favorites and it's kind of stuck that way for 30 years now or 26 years yeah and i don't like it's funny that you say that because i um i'm not as well versed in nirvana i mean i've listened to all their albums but i don't listen to them all the time i think he does a good job of not sounding like nirvana on this album you know he's got his own unique style and um obviously his voice i think is very different than than uh kurt cobain's and you know yes. i i think that he's got these uh hard rocking songs i'm gonna skip through a little bit to get to what you're talking about here so you know he rocks out for sure but then we've got big me like i said it's one of my favorite songs on here which is just it's almost like a beach boys song or something you know yeah. it's just so fun and just uh summer days just driving through you got the windows down that's just a great song to listen to for that so i i love the juxtaposition of all that and that is to me that's what foo fighters is you know uh it's it's the heavy stuff it's the hard rock but it's also the quiet stuff and the light stuff and the fun stuff and they mix that together better than any band that i can think of i think a lot of these songs dave had in the can already and then he just never really went into the recording studio. He was busy with Nirvana. So then Nirvana ended and he was grieving and Dave's a busy body, as we know, and he, he wasn't going to quit music. And so I think he eventually worked up the nerve to get back into the studio solo. He played every instrument, which is crazy to me. I think he's insane. Yeah. Self-taught on every instrument. And he goes in there and he just kind of starts to record some of these songs that he's had for a, a long, long time. And it ends up, you know, kind of like passing these tapes out to people and they're like, man, this is really good. You should make this a band. And he's like, really? I should make this a band. And so it's kind of crazy what it's turned into. And it's kind of full circle because this first CD was all about Dave Grohl dealing with the grief of a friend and a bandmate, just going in there as therapy and recording music. And then here we are with the new CD that just came out. We're kind of doing the same thing. That's kind of a uh, full circle. It really is. It really is. And I, yeah, I think there's some similarities between the albums even as well. Um, I love Alone and Easy Target. That's one of my go. That's the song I go back to over and over again on there. Um, play a little bit of that. Um, what are some of the other favorites on here? Uh, I love 
the Weenie Beanie, which is the song where he sings into the distorter, the really loud and crazy song. And Weenie yeah. Beanie actually named after, I don't know if the song is about that, but Weenie Beanie is named after um, uh, a hot dog stand in Arlandria, Virginia that Dave <laughs> used to frequent. So I've been to the Weenie Beanie. Uh, they, I don't think they survived the pandemic, but the Weenie Beanie was there for a long time. And I went there in 2011 and they have A plus hot dogs. A plus hot dogs at the Weenie Beanie. Were they delicious? They were good. They were good. <laughs> it's just like a little. It's just a little dive, you know, bar, like a little dive stand. But it was it was darn good food. Well, uh, I think my first exposure to Foo Fighters. I talked about my first exposure to uh, Nirvana was Weird Al. I think that was also Weird Al because on the uh, album Bad Hair Day, Weird Al, which has the uh, Amish Paradise on there, yes. it has the alternative polka which has it's it's not a parody but he does a medley of all these alternative rock songs set to the accordion music and at one point in there it has the i don't know anything and um i didn't know what that was uh for a long time i just like like the weird owl song and i just sang that and i didn't realize okay that's foo fighters um this, so that was probably literally the first time i ever heard anything foo fighters was the weird owl you owe a lot to Weird Al musically. I truly do. I truly do. Have you seen real quick? Have you seen the new Weird Al, like that that mockumentary with um? Oh, with Daniel Radcliffe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It was fun. You watched it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was really well done. I appreciated it. Um. Okay. Do you want to say anything more about that, or you want to move on to the color and the shape? No, I think that's that's it for the. That's good for the first one. I think it okay. was very. It was very raw. Very raw. Was, it wasn't the Foo Fighters that we know now, but it just shows you how much talent they, they or Dave, I guess, had at the very beginning, just kind of getting his feet wet with recording by himself. It yeah. was already it was already awesome, let alone with what experience is going to do for you. It, it laid a good foundation. It has some songs that, you know, are still, you know, staples in the set lists today. I think, you know, and we're going to we're going to main event this. We're going to rank all the Foo Fighters albums. Um uh, and not to spoil anything, but I, I do think it's it's not as complete as a lot of their other albums. I, I think to me, you know, the first half of the album is killer. The second half, I think, falls off a little bit. But, uh, you know, it, it lays a great foundation for who, what their sound is going to become, especially once they Dave brings in some other musicians. Absolutely. Yeah. So that sort of happens really here with the color and the shape. Um, you got to... You know the release date of this one? Oh no, May of ninety-seven. May of ninety-seven. May twentieth, ninety-seven. Um so still a lot of Dave recording a lot of this, but then uh Pat Smear and uh Nate Mendel join. And um I- I'm sure you know the name of the drummer who recorded on this. So uh well William Goldsmith, I think, recorded initially. Yeah, the, the drummer, and then um Dave didn't feel like the drum tracks were up to par so dave ended up re-recording them and of course that created a an issue between dave and william and that ended up with william leaving the band i don't think dave fired william i just think dave, you know william was put off by like i'm not on the album i'm leaving i'm not going to be a touring drummer right and dave said okay i'm the one who's put out records and been a part of two rock bands that have been pretty big hits i'm gonna make the decisions here so that's what ended up happening so dave ends up doing the drums again yeah, and that's going to lead to, of course, the legendary Taylor Hawkins coming in. Yeah. You know, uh, shortly after this, uh, he 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 joins for the tour, right? Yeah, I think he joins for the tour. We stole him from uh, Alanis Morris's uh, Alanis Morissette's band, Sexual Chocolate, right? 
<laughs> There's some wrestling crossover. We, we right. said we're going to try to squeeze some in here. Right. Uh, I remember that album because I, I fooled my dad was always the good cop, bad cop. My dad was always the bad cop. He was the stern parent. Like you do not pull anything over on my dad of all people. And I'm 16 and I really want to get this CD. And my mom, I think in high school, she's working midnight. So she's sleeping or working, whatever it is. She's not available. So I tell my dad, hey, dad, I got my permit. I need certain amount of drive time with a parent. Maybe we have nothing to do today. Maybe you should come with doing this practice drive. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm working us towards the mall, you know, mm. <laughs> and uh, we get I don't remember how I got I pulled it over on him. But I said, hey, dad, can I just stop at the mall and run in really quick and pick up this CD? And he and then he let me do it, man. Uh, that just does not seem like something he would have done. But I, I pulled it over on him on that day. And I remember that was back when before the internet and stuff. So you wouldn't get leaks of the album or you wouldn't get pictures of the cover beforehand. So I remember having very vivid dreams of like what the jacket was going to look like. I was, mm. it was like Christmas Eve. I was so excited yeah. about this new Foo Fighter CD dropping. I was very convinced it was going to be green. And as we know, it was not green. It was blue. The color and the shape was mostly a blue cover, but I, I remember having that dream, like going, Oh man, it's green. It's green. Like who has dreams about the liner notes, but I did. <laughs> You know, <laughs> I wonder where that was coming from. I don't know. That, they don't really have a green album. No, they don't. No, no. they're due. They're due. It's yeah. The twelfth album is gonna be green. That's it. <laughs> uh, Monkey Wrench is the lead single on this one, and then of course Everlong and My Hero come after that. Uh, track listing: We've got Dull, Monkey Wrench, Hey Johnny Park, My Poor Brain, Wind Up, Up in Arms, My Hero. See you, enough space, February stars, ever long, walking after you, new way home. Um, my vivid memory of this album still wasn't really into them yet, but I was starting to get into pop music, mainstream music, and I remember watching the VMA performance, uh, that they have this, uh, uh I think it's actually on the pre show of the VMAs, but they're out in New York, like on the side of yeah. the MTV building, like, um, yeah. uh, and I vividly remember when Pat Smear says, this is my last song with Foo Fighters and brings in a new uh, 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 guitarist on there. And I was just like, I, have, I was even, I didn't really know who they were, but that was such a WTF moment for me. Like just quit the band on live TV. Like what, what just happened? That's so weird. That's so random. And I don't know why I've always remembered that. Yeah, they played on top of Radio City Music Hall. Mm -hmm. And then I think they played two songs. And in between the first and the second song, Pat Smear says, okay, that my that last song was my last song with the band. And Pat, for me, was an anchor because he mm. was a member of Nirvana. He was an 11th right. album yep. Nirvana. So I'm like, what do you mean Pat's leaving? And uh, they always talk about um, anytime Pat Smear picks up a guitar, Germs, Nirvana, Foo Fighters, the guitar just, no matter how you tune it, the guitar just... <sighs> <laughs> uh, that's how Pat plays and I'm like what do you mean we're losing this out of our band what are you talking about and then they brought in Franz Stahl which who I didn't know from Adam but I mean Dave knew him from his past bands that he had been in you know Scream and whatnot so I'm just like Franz Stahl who what I remember running out to the driveway my mom had come home from shopping and I ran out to the driveway to tell my mom it's as if the president got shot like I'm like <laughs> Pat Smear quit the band and I'm sure my mom is like who what did you just say Right. <laughs> I remember talking about it at school the next day because uh, I really? was, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was, I guess I was trying to sound cool because I was watching MTV. It's like, did you guys see that? That's so weird. That's so wild. But uh, I definitely was conscious of Monkey Wrench and My Hero for sure. Like, I felt like those songs were unescapable. 
uh, during the summer of and, and the fall of 97. Um, and then when I got into the band on the next album, it was really when I really got into them and went back and got this album. Man, my I just have vivid memories of I used to listen to my CD player, my Walkman or whatever, going to sleep every night throughout high school and college. And this was a CD I just listened to over and over and over again, falling asleep. Um, and it didn't put me to sleep, but like, I just like would just sit there for like an hour before bed, just like listening to this album and loving it so much. It's so unique. I love, um, Hey Johnny Park. That's one of my all time favorite Foo Fighter songs. Um, what is some of your title that he's shouting out? He's shouting out, not the song, but the title. He's shouting out his childhood friend from Washington D.C. or I think, and he's just okay. trying to find trying to find him because they've grown up and there's no internet in '97. Or Facebook. So he's just like, I'm gonna name a song after him and maybe he'll surface. And he did, I think. He did. It worked. Okay. Good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I specifically marked down, um, like right here, this my this moment in the song. Just that little like whirlwind around of the drums like it, yeah. it listen to that in my headphones i remember just like gave me chills back then this was the first tour that i saw them in concert too okay and tell us a little bit about that yeah so i was uh i was 14 when the first cd came out so too young to go to concerts mom and dad wouldn't let me go unless they were going to come with me and they weren't going to do that so but by the time uh t cats rolls around in 97 then I'm at least 16 and my mom and dad are like, well, we still don't want to go with you to this show and we're not going to let you go with your friends to a major arena by yourself. But I could go with Uncle Dave, Uncle Dave of SummerSlam fame, who you're going to okay. meet. All right. the, guy who got, the guy who got me into wrestling. Uncle Dave, he's my uncle, but he's only 11 years older than me. So I'm 16, he's 27. It's cool if I go with him. Yeah. Both my, mom, my mom says it's cool and I think it's cool. I can do that, you know? And so he took me to Clutch Cargo's in Pontiac, Michigan. And Clutch Cargo's is uh, it was an abandoned church that they kind of made into a little teeny little nightclub. And the Foo Fighters are still small enough oh, on that's awesome. July 3rd of 97 that they're still playing little nightclubs. And so we go there and um, and Uncle Dave is like six foot 40. So I, we <laughs> use him as a blocker and we get to the, like the middle of the floor, which I mean, it's a small place anyway, but we get to the middle of the floor and we could just stand with him and use him as a blocker and just kind of do the hop and watch them. And I think it's on YouTube. The show's on YouTube, which is crazy. Really? Pat Smear was in his pajamas. I got to see Taylor Hawkins in one of his first few months in the band because he was the drummer that night. Um, It was probably the second, probably top two on on Foo Fighter concerts I've ever been to because it was just so intimate and so Yes. The only only negative that happened that night is my uncle was like, passing on sage advice to me he's like i've been to some concerts dude let me tell you rookie he's like you don't buy the shirt at the beginning of the show you don't want to carry it or have to wear it or lose it you you buy the shirt on the way out and i'm like oh okay all right let me tell you that show ended and we went out to the shirt stand on the way out and there was just bare hangers no floating the breeze there was nothing there so i still like Mm. to give him uh some crap over that uh i did like, you owe me a t-shirt, bro, you know? <laughs> he busting the doors and straight to the merch stand. That's what you right. gotta do. Just suck it up. You gotta carry that poster. You gotta carry that shirt around. Too bad. It's been 26 years. I still, I, I, I think I brought it up when I saw him last week when I was in Toledo. I think I brought it up. <laughs> I still don't let him forget it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, we got Everlong playing, and I think that has, 
I don't know because I wasn't really following them then. I think it's certainly become their signature song. I don't know if it was always, but like, especially, I feel so ancient when I say this, but it is the song that plays on classic rock radio now more than any of theirs. I feel like at first it was my hero, but now I, I don't know what's changed or maybe, and maybe it's just my interpretation, but it feels like Everlong has certainly taken over that. Yeah, Everlong, I, I wrote in my notes that Everlong is a darn good song, but I never saw the hype is it like being there smells like teen spirit. I've never mm -hmm. seen that, but like, obviously I'm outvoted because clearly that's the overwhelming uh, trend is that everybody thinks that Everlong is their greatest hit. Dave Grohl has said he hopes that play he a little my hero here. Yeah. He feels like he hasn't uh, written his greatest hit yet, but most people sure. feel like Everlong. So it's, it's hard to deny that, but I think it's a very good song, but not their best personally. Yeah. And I, and I feel like honestly, like they have, you know, put out 11 albums, but I feel like a lot of people probably still look to this as, you know, some of their greatest work. And it is, it is some of their greatest work. I, I don't yeah. think there's any doubt about that, but I think, you know, they're probably still weighed down by this album in a lot of ways. Um, maybe not weighed down, but still, you know, uh, having a, it's a tough bar, tough hurdle to overcome as far as people's favorites. What about, some, uh, what are some deep some tracks songs. you like on here? I'd say there are some songs that made that album like uh, Enough Space. Oh yeah. Uh, there's songs from okay. 1990, my, my hero that you were just playing, there's songs that were from 1995. I've got some uh, bootleg concert CDs. So they would put out bootleg concert CDs at the record store and I'd buy them for $30. I don't, I don't know that it's unofficial. You know, I'm 15. Who cares? And um, they're all from 1995. So I'm, I'm yeah. listening to them play the first album and then they play some other stuff at the show. And then two years later, it ends up on an album. And I'm like, hey, I know this song. I you love know? that. Yeah. I felt like a pro. Yeah. <laughs> I love uh, See You. That is one of my, maybe my top 10 Foo Fighter songs because it's yeah. so different than anything else. And the clapping. I, always, I still clap yeah. in the car. Listening to it in the car, I still clap. <laughs> it's, it's got a little country sound, which is, you know, near and dear to my heart a little bit. Yes. Uh, and then February Stars, I think, is that one always gets me too. One of my favorites. Um, and then there is... There is a song called The Color and the Shape, which was not on the original album, right? But it is on, it's here on Spotify with the original album, but it is not with the original release. I believe it's on the Monkey Wrench single, uh, volume one. There's two Monkey Wrench singles, but I believe it's on B-side to the Monkey Wrench single. And it is very loud and crazy. And Dave likes to dip into his like punk side sometimes. Yeah. No? <laughs> we'll play a little bit over here. Yeah, I'm, I think, it, I think they made the right choice leaving it off the album. <laughs> It's a good B-side. Sure. I don't know where it would have fit on this album. It feels a little out of place. But, uh, yes, definitely. Did so you imagine then, it coming on right after See You? Yeah, just, uh, yeah, there's nowhere it fits on the album. There's nowhere it fits. There he is. Yes. Lots of screaming. Yes. <laughs> uh, all right. So then we fast forward to when in 1999? November 1st, right? I got November 2nd from Wikipedia. Oh, it Maybe 2nd? it might be November 1st. I don't know. Wikipedia is not always 100%. But yeah, 1st of November right there, 1999. There's nothing left to lose. Lead single was Learn to Fly. Uh, then we had Stacked Actors, Generator, Breakout, and Next Year were all singles. And uh, this is when the band is really whittled down to just Dave Taylor and Nate, right? Right. That's where That's where Taylor was trying to convince Dave, like, let's just be the police. Let's just be three, you know? And, Nothing wrong uh, with that. 
Dave was like, no, Foo Fighters is is a lot of guitar. We need more guitar. And that's what led to Chris Shiflett joining for the tour. And then once he was kind of accepted into the band, like musically they jived, I think personality-wise they jived, then they offered him the full-time job at the next album. I wonder if that's what they're doing with the new drummer. Mm-hmm. Like he's our new touring drummer. And then if it all goes well, maybe if they get in the studio in a couple of years for album 12, maybe they'll let that guy do it instead of Dave. So we'll yeah. see what happens. Yeah, yeah it wouldn't surprise me. Um, I think I mentioned a little bit a second ago, this was the first album I purchased. And really, again, right. just going, going back to the music videos, man, uh, Learn to Fly and Breakout were all over TRL like a- and MTV. Like they were right up there with Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, you know, blending in with those. And they stood out so much from those guys. Not only that, but the other rock bands MTV were playing were like Corn and Limp Biscuit and, and stuff like that, which... I kind of liked, I, you know, I'm not going to lie and say I didn't like that sure. sort of stuff back then, but I didn't, li- I don't have any of those CDs, but I have every Foo Fighters CD and that, that was the band that spoke to me. I could tell this was high quality rock music uh, and they and spoke to me so much more than those other bands did. They were shifting towards um, more, I guess, poppier or more radio friendly hits. And they wrote that in at Dave's house in Virginia at the time. They just were chilling out and like, let's not do it in a high pressure studio. They talked about Gil Norton worked them really hard for Color in the Shape. Like it was like almost like an army regimen. And so they wanted to just chill out with this one and just record it at Dave's house and, and just maybe barbecue at night and then record during the day. And um, yeah, and like you said, a lot of good uh, songs came out of it with Breakout, that Breakout video. Dave wears a black pants, black shirt, white tie combo, right? Do you, I don't know if you remember that. I do. Yes. Yes. And this is, again, 1999. I was like, I have got to find this combination. I got to be able to wear this combination. And finding a white tie in 1999 was crazy town. Like, you could yeah. not find a white tie. Now it's not so hard. But um, I still, to this day, I on the rack, and I still occasionally will wear the black tie. Or black shirt, black pants, white tie. Yes. <laughs> and you know, my email, my email is liveinskin at hotmail.com. It is. Oh, one of my favorite songs on the record also. Yeah. And that I was all that. just, that was all not wanting to be like, I went down the whole track list. I went down. I was like, can I be learned to, with no numbers? Can I be learned to fly at hotmail.com? Nope. Okay. <laughs> Breakout at hotmail.com? Nope. Okay. And I ended up, when I landed Live in Skin, it was like, I didn't have to be Live in Skin 0467812. That's, that's been it. And so Deanna's like, you know, Hotmail's for old men, right? Like, you can do Gmail. And I'm yeah, like, you can... no. Then I'll lose Live in Skin, though. <laughs> How do you even have any space left on your Hotmail account? How is it not, like, totally full? Right. <laughs> that's so unreal. Uh, so this album, we got Stacked Actors, Breakout, Learn to Fly, Gimme Stitches, Generator, Aurora, Living Skin, Next Year, Headwires, Ain't It the Life, and MIA. Um, I also, the song Next Year, one of my favorites, and it was uh, the theme song to a TV show that was on during this time called Ed. Ed, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Me and my dad loved that show. We watched it every (laughs) week. It was almost, it was like not a comedy or a drama, kind of like a weird to say it's like a Gilmore Girls type show almost except for from the guy's perspective it was sort of a romantic comedy type show I don't know why but it was the theme song for it and I always uh loved it because of that and I guess it's doesn't sound like a lot of their other songs either 
got a great music video where they're you know flying up in space too uh that one's always been a sentimental favorite of mine yeah they they meet nixon right i think they meet nixon yeah. in that which is <laughs> hilarious that was another good album i think that's my last great story before you know the internet's a thing and you just go to the store and buy it but like that was that came out two months into my freshman year at minnesota so i literally know where my dorm is i know where my classes are i know where the cafeteria is i don't know where anything else is and they, they come out with this record and i'm telling my roommate like it was one of my the best men in my wedding so we're still tight and I, I told him like i need to buy this record dude and he's from minnesota i'm like help me out i'm not even from here and he's also he's at campus been two months he doesn't know anything either so we I'm sure looking back on it, you could go to a record store on campus and buy this in five minutes, but we didn't yeah. know that. Right. So we get, we get on a bunch of, where do you go in Minnesota? I guess you go to the Mall of America, right? <laughs> so we get on uh, probably six different buses, like a bus that transfers to a bus oh that transfers God. to a bus. It took us two hours to get to the Mall of America by bus so we could get out, find the nearest record store and buy the CD and then get back in the, on the bus and then do do it in reverse, you know, take a bus to a bus to a bus back to campus. So you're talking four hours. Jeez. To get this and what was hilarious is we didn't even bring the disc man to listen to the music on the way home. On the no. Way home. <laughs> you got to have one one person with one headphone, the other person with the other. Right, right. Come on. I still have that CD. And I, that was the CD that if you mentioned it was the first one you bought. Did you get the temporary tattoo, the FF tattoo inside? I don't think I did. I don't remember that. I mm -mm. still have mine because that way you could put it on your neck and look like Dave did. Look like the, the album cover. Yeah. Yeah. I remember it was cool though because it was like the um, uh, like cardboard case. Yes. It wasn't like a hard case. I always thought it was cool when artists did that. I think I always felt like that's Dave like because they've been cardboard uh, since I think Wasting Light at least. That's Dave saying like let's minimize the cost, mm -hmm. folks. I, yeah. Like I've made money. We don't need to jack up the price anymore. You know. Um, let me play Aurora. That's always a favorite. That's no, a good very... one. I was fairly convinced I was going to name a daughter uh, Aurora. Oh, one day. that'd be good. That'd be right? good. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, my memories of playing this album, I used to, um, like my routine at night, um, on school nights at least, you know, sometimes on the weekends I'd hang out with friends, but uh, on school nights at least, <laughs> sure. do, do a little homework and then turn on the PS1 and just play playstation crash bandicoot jet moto smackdown versus or just like it was just smackdown then and just turn my boombox on and i had a rotation of cds like five or six cds there he is he's there's got the, that cd there, there's the tattoo oh, gosh show me the cd though because i haven't seen that oh god that just awoke something in my brain i haven't seen the actual yeah. cd itself in so long you but, said travis white and i are, are single-handedly keeping cds in business but, yeah uh, the very one from that uh, that bus trip with the, I, oh I scotched the tattoo in there. That's cool. <laughs> uh, that was just one of the ones that I repeated over and over again playing PS1 games and just uh, memorized it. And th there's no there's no bad tracks on this album. No skip, no skips on here. This one and Color and the Shape are both stacked top to bottom. Yeah, it's so funny that it can evoke memories like that because that was my disc man walking campus you know if i had to walk across the river to class i was gonna i was gonna put the cd on so that's what i think of when a lot of these songs play still i can think of those icy walks over the river in, in january or something you know yeah and i'll just play a little uh, stacked actors lastly because this one what a great opener for the album too yeah. it just hits you hard 
and he does cuss on this one. And as a kid, I was like, I got to turn this down. <laughs> Mom and dad. Right. This. Yeah. This was, um, allegedly about Courtney love. Yes. And, um, this is my buddy, Doug, who was eventually Fitzy's godfather. This is my buddy, Doug's favorite, uh, Foo Fighters song. It's one of my favorites. I, I love it. Yeah. I love it. All right. So one by one was the next album. Uh, you've been three for three on releases. Uh, when was this one out? Oh, uh, October 2002. I don't remember the date. Nailing it. October 22nd, 2002. Uh, lead single for this one was All My Life, followed by Times Like These, Low, and Have It All. And uh, I believe uh, you can confirm this. This was a pretty disastrous recording session initially and almost led to the breakup of the Foo Fighters. Yeah, they, they recorded the CD for once you tally up all the costs for studio time and everything else and it sounded like crap according to dave uh and so they shelved everything and dave's doing the um queens of the stone age side project happy with that um and so there's strife in the band they don't know if they're going to break up and eventually once they do make up they're like let's re let's re-record everything in my basement in a week and apparently it's that's what we that's the finished product that we got. And I don't know if you've ever heard the million dollar demos, as they call them. No, uh, I, I I don't think they're as hard to find as they used to be. Like, but I found it uh, a few years ago and I just thought it was I like fell on it like a fumble. I was like, oh, my gosh, um, the million dollar demos. It doesn't sound that bad to me. I've got the amateur. I'm sure here. it doesn't. Yeah. It, I'm like, I, I it's definitely different. You can absolutely picture, uh, uh, you know, parse out the differences. I'm like, OK, this is way different. I see why he might have wanted to re-record it but is it terrible i don't think so but i mean i would probably buy a cd with his stomach gurgling on it and to be honest with you i, I understand that but it's not that bad so uh, maybe i'll have to send it over one time if you can't find it on uh, youtube or something but the million dollar um, not bad did any of that make the like did they did they just throw all those songs away or did they repurpose them no i think they i think they threw it all away and they wow. redid it all they redid it all in a week for uh, for pennies compared to this big booming million dollar production that was very very different. And Dave said it was terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, thankfully they didn't break up. But uh, like you said, that you said a little bit ago, they brought in Chris Shiflet uh, to join the band, and you know he's been with them ever since. But uh, that one's got opens with "All My Life," followed by "Low," "Have It All," "Times Like These," "Disenchanted Lullaby," "Tired of You," "Halo." Uh Lonely as you, overdrive, burn away, come back. Um, this was the first album I anticipated. Like you mentioned, you know, dreaming about what the cover is going to look like. This was the first one that I sat yeah. around waiting for it to come out. Got it the day it came out, and uh, I I got the one with the black background and the white heart because I remember you could get that or the white background with the black heart. I went with the black and the white or black background white heart. Which one did you get? That's the or one did, I have. To okay okay that's the one i have too and that was um it was really neat they before they came out with that cd they said we're gonna come to five or six cities the the days leading up to release day and we're gonna play some underplay gigs which means they're gonna play uh venues that are beneath them i guess so that they've outgrown but they're still gonna come play these these smaller uh venues and they're like we're gonna play la and new york and chicago and philadelphia and minneapolis and we're like what wait a second right it's like which one of these doesn't belong 
So my buddy and I, it was going to be at First Avenue, which if you've ever seen Prince's uh, Purple Rain, it's okay. featured heavily in there. It's a, a little small little nightclub and concert venue downtown Minneapolis. So uh, we went to First Avenue to watch them four days before the CD came out. Wow. And the coolest thing, this is my favorite Foo Fighter concert. Yeah. The coolest thing about that was everybody was in that venue. It's a small venue. Everybody was doing the hop and everybody was with it when they played the hits you know, their greatest hits from the previous records. And even when they played the, the singles that were on the radio, like All My yeah. Life, Times Like These, they were still with it. But when they started varying off into like low, like you said, low, tired of you, um, lonely as you, when they started veering off on, off the beaten path, like nobody was with it except for two guys. At least it felt that way to me. And it was me and my roommate, the same roommate, Nate, who came with me to on the bus ride, the previous record. We were with it the entire time doing the hop because that's the days of Morpheus and Bizarre and LimeWire. Mm. And we, I still bought the record, but I had killed myself in the week leading up to that trying to find all the songs. And I think we found about 75% of them. Yeah. You, you download like Foo Fighters, Lonely As You, and it would just be three <laughs> minutes of static. Like, yeah. why, would, why would people do that? I don't know. But we found most of the songs. So when they played this concert, we were, we were ready. It was like a study for a final exam. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, great. what are some of your favorites on here? Oh, man, all of them. You know what? Halo. Yeah. All right. Halo. Halo was a song that I really, really loved. There's a swear in Halo, too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, there's a swear in there. <laughs> yeah, there is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I feel like this one definitely has a like a dirtier, heavier sound than the last two albums. It's still got times like these, which is... You know, the sure. more the you know, and, which has also become a signature song of theirs, uh, of course. Um, with especially with the acoustic version that ca that felt like was such a massive hit. Uh, yeah. Um, and they even played it on SNL a few years ago after uh, right after Biden's election, right there, pretty signature version of it. But uh, yeah, like I just feel like this one, um, it's like I said, dirtier. It feels like to me a lot of the songs on here. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it, it totally does. And uh, I had no idea, I don't think at the time in 02, how much trouble the band was in. But I'm like you said, I'm glad they I'm glad they pulled it out of the fire because this record yeah. is great. And obviously the history ever since then is great too. Lonely As You, I think it's the next track. One of that, my, again, a top 10 song for me. Love this song. I, I love Lonely As You. And it's actually one of the only songs on Rock Band that I can, I can knock out of the park as far as the lyrics go. Like, so when Dave sings Learn to Fly, the video game doesn't wait, like the way I sing Learn to Fly. <laughs> I, I'm terrible. But Lonely As You is low enough. It's like Radiohead Creep. I can I can nail Radiohead Creep. I can nail Lonely As You. So I love that song. <laughs> I remember doing Monkey Ranch on Rock Band. That was always a sure. fun one to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah, Lonely I, As You is um, so good. Deanna, uh, Deanna loved my bachelor pad when we started dating because I had the... Um, I had the microphone, I had um, floor lamps, and I had the microphone duct taped to the floor lamp, like a mic stand, so I could play guitar and sing. And so like Deanna started visiting, she was like, what, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> well, I used to be a, a youth pastor for uh, in another era of my life, and it was during the height of Guitar Hero and Rock Band, and I mean, that was what we did before and after church, and lock-ins, and uh, all that sort of stuff, just... And it was per it was a great way to connect with kids. And um, I remember when the Beatles rock band came out, we got uh, 
my other coworker and I, we, we went and got four mics so we could all, everybody could do the Beatles harmonies and everything. Oh. And yeah, had the drum set and everything. And the kids loved it, man. It was, it was so much fun. Uh, I didn't point out uh, on the first album, Oh George. Uh, did you know that that's named after George Harrison? I did not. That's what you're here for, the knowledge. I don't, I don't think the song's about him, but I think that- <laughs> But it's title... named after him. Yes. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's my number one closing song on the album, but it might be. It's Come Back, man. It's just, I freaking love this song too. And I, it's, just, it's just a great song to end the album on. It's epic. It's almost eight minutes long and uh, it's so fun. Yeah. I was just going to say, Comeback lost its trophy. I think it was like the longest Foo Fighter song until The Teacher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Again, massive hits on here all my life and times like these, you know, right up there with some of their biggest hits on here. So they're still certainly at the height of their popularity here. Um, and then uh, it'll be three years until we get. Uh, oh, I'm going up. Let me go down. Here we go. Yeah. Until we get to In Your Honor right here. In what month? I don't know if I remember the month. Summer 2005? June. June 14th, June. Okay. 2005. <laughs> um, their first double album. Um, lead single, Best of You. Followed by DOA, Resolve, No Way Back, Cold Day in the Sun. And this is, you know, famously, we got the heavy side and then we got the soft side. Uh, not, a, not fully acoustic, but, you know, more of a softer side here between the two albums. And it really, I think it's like, the quintessential Foo Fighter sound is blending the heaviness with the softness here. Yeah, they called it a Foo Stick is what they mm -hmm. called it. And uh, I think it just shows the band's musical diversity. I think this is the yeah. first time Dave is starting to feel like we've made it as a band. We've won awards. We've we've got plenty of money. Now I want to branch out and see what we can do. And like I, we, you and I texted about the Beatles going from I want to hold your hand to Sergeant Peppers. Like what a progression that is. And I think this is Dave wanting to branch out. And I forget. I think I talked to like Rick Rubin or somebody about like, oh, I really want to do an acoustic album, but I know we're known for rock and I want to keep doing that too. And like, I think Rick Rubin said something like, why don't you just do both? And yeah. Dave was like mind blown. And, it, and so he ends up doing the double album uh, so he could represent both of his interests. And I think this ultimately led to them doing skin and bones uh, after yes. this. And they want that went to a full unplugged set because the, they felt like the acoustic disc went so well. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it is experimental and it, it's not, it's not an album you can come out with as your first album. You know, you got to have sure. some, some leeway with, with your fan base. Uh, it is experimental to, um, to come out with this double album and exploring both sides. And it's bold, you know, to come out with a double album, but um it never feels excessive to me. Like, I don't, I don't think there's any fluff on this album. I don't think they padded it at all. I, I think they made a concerted effort to make sure every song belongs on here that um, it feels like it needs to be a double album. This is not just, you know, throwing it on there to jack up the price. And I think he famously didn't. I think this was famously like $9.99 for a double album, uh, and which was awesome. Yeah, I ran to, uh, I think I was working at my uncle's truck driving school at the time. And I was like, I I think I had the uh, secretary gal, I had her cover me. I was like, can you cover the phones for five minutes while I run across the street to Best Buy at 10.01 a.m. to buy this record? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Play a little DOA here. Uh, first disc, we've got In Your Honor, No Way Back, Best of You, DOA, Hell, The Last Song, Free Me, Resolve, The Deepest Blues Are Black, and End Over End. And then disc two, we have still 
What if I do Miracle, another round, Friend of a Friend, Over and Out, On the Men, Virginia Moon, Cold Day in the Sun, and Razor. And uh, man, Best of You, that was another just massive hit, crossover hit. That song was everywhere. Yeah, I mean, there's so many good songs on that album. I know um, No Way Back was on the uh, mm. Madden 06 video game. Mm. So you could like pick your jukebox and I would turn all the songs off except yes. for No Way Back, just loop. <laughs> so they had that um taylor got his first song i think like he started getting one uh -huh. song per record yeah kind of like peter chris and kiss he always had that one song and like taylor got cold day in the sun which was awesome it's a great song actually signature um, song played it in concert all the time yeah i think they were um i think they were choosing between that and um get up i want to get down which is another taylor song and they went with cold day in the sun and then get up i want to get down ended up on a coattail riders record so it's just kind of funny how that it went like that. So um, yeah. DOA is probably, I mentioned the 1A, 1B with For All the Cows. DOA is 1B. Okay. I uh, I flirted with DOA for a little while. I don't think it passes For All the Cows, but it's darn close. Yeah, I think the first disc with In Your Honor, No Way Back, Best of You, and DOA is a, it's up there for best like opening to a Foo Fighters album. Like, Boom, 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 boom. All four of those songs hit hard and they they rock and they're awesome. Uh, and all the songs on that album are great, but I think like it, they, Foo Fighters always open their albums real strong. I feel like um, that especially is up there. It reminds me of their shows. You go to their show and they play, they play like five songs and they melt your face before he even says hi. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and small trivia is on the acoustic disc that Miracle, Miracle was our wedding song. Oh, it was me dude. and Deanna's wedding song. Yeah. It was this was 2005, so I was uh, 19. Man, I I cried listening to this song when I was 19 years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Never, you know. It's about his daughter, right? Or I don't know. If no. he had it, okay, okay. Maybe I'm I don't wrong. know if I know the origin. Maybe you're right. I don't know. I if he thought did. it was, but it could. But but to me, you had it as your wedding song. I always thought about it with a girl, um, you know, wanting to have that. But oh, this is my favorite song on the album by far. That's <laughs> so to this. I think I saw, when I saw them in concert in 08, one of my little side stories was at the concert in 08, he was, I re distinctly remember him, that he had, they had a, a kind of a runway out into the crowd. and He walked the runway and he was playing guitar and staring at who I feel was Jordan, his wife, holding a little a little child with big giant earmuffs on it. And so maybe you're right, this, this child was born in 05. They're probably two, three years old by the time I see them in 08. So maybe you're right. Maybe it could be. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I put this song on every mixtape for girls I dated for like 10 years. Right. <laughs> this was always going on there. Um, and then the, another one uh, I just remember distinctly. This was a great driving record for me. I, I guess I was I guess I was 19. So I was just, you know, spending a lot of time just driving around, hanging out, not a care in the world. And this album was perfect for that, man. I just distinctly remember driving around in my Corolla, listening to this car. I listened to this album. <laughs> did you, now when you listen to it, would you listen to it shuffle or mixed all up? Would you do rock more, acoustic more, or be pretty much equal representation? I want to say I pretty much did it, you know, I'd listen to the rock side and then listen to the acoustic side. Um, if anything, I might listen to the rock side more, but uh, I feel like I typically would try to listen to the whole thing. I think so too. It depends on my mood too. If I'm yeah. having like a, 
rainy day, I'm depressed, I might be more on the acoustic side. But if I'm in the car and with the windows down and the sunglasses on, we might be on uh, that first disc. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I always have, I mean, until Spotify came around, I guess with the iPod a little bit, I do a little shuffling. But I was always, you know, I'm listening to this album the way Dave Grohl meant it to be listened to. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I think, like, we'll talk about it with some of the later albums, but I think that's why... Maybe I don't appreciate some of the later albums as much because I listened to so many of these early ones in the car and I would just listen to them over and over and over. I would not take the CD out for like weeks at a time, just listen to it. And I don't do that as much anymore. I try to, you know, I'll try to really listen to an album, but it's just, it's not the same, you know? Um, and I, I think I would like some of the newer albums a little bit more if I was able to force myself to listen to them in that way. I, well, you know, I try to memorize the lyrics like I'm in the band, like it matters, but I try to uh, when every album comes out. And I've noticed as I've gotten older, it's much harder to do that. Like when I was a teenager, it was like no problem. And now I have to like yeah. really work at it. And I'm like, is it age? Is the is the music not as good? Am I not as emotionally attached to it? Am I just busier with life than I was when I was 17? I have no idea, but it's much harder than it used to be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I listen to podcasts, you know, so that's taking up right? time where I would be listening to music. So yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of those factors going on for sure. Uh, you mentioned skin and bones too. We're, we're not going to go in depth on that, but man, I friggin' love that album too. That was again, a, a pretty big hit. I feel like at the time had the DVD release for it. Um, lot some of my favorite versions of songs are on Skin and Bones too. Uh, all I remember is you know Nirvana unplugged in New York. So when they were doing Skin and Bones, I'm like, this is this is our unplugged in New York. Like we're yeah. doing them. great, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um. So 2007 brought us uh, what month? I don't know if I know what month. Uh, I don't know. Uh, fall. I'm gonna guess fall. Yeah, it was fall, September 25th, 07. Nice. Echoes, Silence, <laughs> Patience, and Grace. Lead single, The Pretender, uh, followed by Long Road to Ruin. Uh, Cheer Up Boys, Your Makeup is Running, and Let It Die. Um, Cheer Up Boys, Your Makeup is Running, in the argument for best Foo Fighters song title, I feel like. Of course. I, that was, uh, I found a very early version of that. They played it live. Yeah. It was, like, video is crappy, but you can at least tell it's a new song and it rocks. And I played that. It was a big, uh, it was a big link on my MySpace page, Alex. Ah. Very, very huge. I have that in my notes too. This was a, this, I, I had the pretender, I had that video on my MySpace and that song on my MySpace for, for a long time. Yeah. This was the era where you had your MySpace page and you could put a song on there that people could hear as soon as they clicked on your MySpace page. That's awesome. Twitter would be so much better if we could still do those sort of things. Right. Right. Come on, Elon. Come on, fix this thing. Uh, we got the pretender, let it die, erase, replace, long road to ruin, which that might be the best four song opener in Foo Fighters history. I mean, that's a strong, strong opening set. Uh, Come Alive, Stranger Things Have Happened, Cheer Up Boys, Your Makeup Is Running, Summer's End, Ballad of the Beaconsfield Miners. We got to talk about that. Uh, Statues, but honestly, and Home. Um, And then uh, we got a new member of the band as well. Right? Who was the, the new member of the band? And Rami. And Oh, is, so this is when Rami is, I think so. becomes part of the act. Yes, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who, I may have been the only person in the world to notice this at the time and think it was cool because I was a huge 
Wallflowers fan. And I still okay. am a big fan of the Wallflowers. And I knew Rami from the Wallflowers. I was like, oh, he's in the Foo Fighters now. How about that? Starting to expand with like a keyboard guy. Full yeah. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I know they get, they started with, this is with Gil Norton again. So they're going back to their color and the shape roots and trying to work with the same uh, producer. And I think this melded the, uh, the double album. It did. Yes. And let's just do it as one disc. Yes. I feel like that too. And that's what Echo Silence and Patience and Grace was. And uh, it's so funny that you mentioned Cheer Up Voice, because that's one of my favorite crank it up songs in the car. Mm -hmm. Like, and nobody knows about it. I don't know why it wasn't as more popular than it was, but it wasn't a huge hit. No. That's like the Foo Fighters formula for a rock song right there, if there ever was one. I love that song. Yeah. Uh, and I, I marked think- out for But Honestly as well, because But Honestly was that that first time I had But Honestly in the car and Dave singing, and then Taylor comes in with backup vocals. I was mm. like, it's good. They, Taylor has gotten his songs before, but not with Dave at the same time. So like, yeah. When Dave's singing and then Taylor comes in with the backup vocals, I was like squealing like a girl in the car. You know? Yeah, yeah. It was a great addition. Uh, I wish they'd done more of that. This is Cheer Up Boys. Uh, very fun song. Yes. Um, I got to play Ballad of the Beaconsfield Miners on here. Their um, first instrumental? Yeah, and this was yeah. the uh, the ringtone on my on my phone for like five oh, years when perfect. somebody called. <laughs> perfect for that. Right, very cool, right. very unique song. Again, they're still innovating and still being creative here. I always dug this song. I feel like it's with the Australian miners that were trapped, and they oh. use the Foo Fight- they use the Foo Fighters music to kind of like get them through. And then Dave heard it, and then Dave was like, "I'm gonna invite you guys to a show when you get out." And then he wrote yes. songs for them. Yeah, I think I they're thought, Australian. I was gonna say Argentinian, but oh, maybe okay. I don't, yeah, I don't know for sure. I don't remember, but it was a big deal. I mean, it was all over yeah. the news at the time for sure. Um, and then I got to play Stranger Things Have Happened. This was my favorite song on the album. Besides the the Pretender was up there and Erase Replace is, that song gets me going, man. That's still on my like running playlist to this day. Like that sure. song revs me up. Uh, but Stranger Things Have Happened is so... It's, I, I actually, I literally wrote a script in a, uh, uh, it wasn't screenwriting, it was a playwriting class in college. I wrote a little short, you know, like five minute script, kind of like inspired by like what I felt like the song made me feel. Um, I don't have it anymore. I have no idea where it is. It was probably terrible, but uh, <laughs> this song just felt so cinematic to me. It, well, yeah, I, I love the metronome in the background. You can hear the metronome. And then at the beginning of the tong- song, he's sitting there talking about waiting for the person to come through the door. And then by the end of the song, he's waiting for them to go out the door. And yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. I love it. And, and think, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say that same thing with those lyrics. Uh, I think the pretender is some of my favorite lyrics, too. Like, I love lyrics that mean two things. So when the pretender, when he's talking about like looking in the mirror and I'm what's left, I'm what's right. You know, I, I'm like, that means two things. Like I was just, <laughs> I love that stuff. They, they were still pumping out great music videos at this time too. Like pretender was a very cool music video. Long road to ruin. That was the yeah. uh, like telenovela type one. Was yeah. Dr. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Handsome Davidoff. <laughs> so, you know, even I feel like music videos were kind of dying out, but they were still, you know, making those an important part of what they did, still putting a lot of effort into them. And uh, they, and it was the era where they were starting to move to YouTube. I remember watching those music videos on YouTube a lot. Right. And they were still hanging on to that dying medium. God bless them. I love, Absolutely. I 
goes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, great album. Listen to this one a lot. Love well, it. I think with that tour brings a really good story, Alex. Do it. And it brings the story of this right here, the Taylor oh, Hawkins Oh, my God. Stick, or at least what I believe firmly to be a Taylor Hawkins stick. So we saw on this tour, February of 08, in Detroit at the Jolis Arena, which is no longer there. Um, I went with a few friends and Uncle Dave, because it's tradition to go with Uncle Dave. And uh, we'd go with him. And Taylor had a tendency to throw sticks in the crowd. They all kind of like get together, do their big group bow. And then Taylor would jack his sticks into the uh, into the crowd. And we were on the floor, but we weren't anywhere close to that. And so at the end of the show, we go into the people mover. Detroit has a people mover to get you away from JLA towards wherever you parked. And then you just get off along the way. And we're packed in there. You can imagine on a concert night, we're like packed in there like sardines. Of course. And so my buddies and Uncle Dave and I are talking about how much we love the show. We love the band. And then this dad and his like preteen son, he was uh, probably mid twenties by then. And he's, uh, this kid's much younger and they're just, you know, they start talking with us about like, Oh yeah, we go to concerts. I feel like I got the vibe. They're just music fans, not necessarily Foo Fighters, but they just go to shows. Sure. He was just like, Oh yeah, we love the Foo Fighters too. And then we're just talking about how much we love the band. So by the time we get to their stop doors open, the dad kind of talks about how he caught this that night. And, and when I see this, uh, I feel like he's not fooling because I know Taylor's drumsticks and he takes the electrical tape and he makes yeah. the hand out of the bottom. And if you look, Shane does the same thing, which I think is cute. And um, he kind of just like, as they were getting off, he kind of nonchalantly was just like, well, Hey, we caught this earlier tonight. Like if you guys want it, you guys love Foo Fighters so much. You guys take it. And he just gave it to us. Wow. And then they, they stepped off into the night, the door shut. I never see him again. And, but when he gave it to us, he gave it to us as a group. And my buddy, Doug, uh, we'll call him the drumstick, Doug, uh, Bitsy's godfather. He was the one closest in proximity to that guy. So Doug takes the handoff. Now, I love Doug, one of my best friends. But there was some, uh, I don't know, internal heat from me at the time. because <laughs> Absolutely. Doug, I'm like, I'm clearly the Foo Fighter guy out of all of us, right? I'm clearly the guy. Uh, it's, it's almost like. Bart and Milhouse fighting over their joint custody <laughs> over Radioactive Man 1, right? Yes and, yes, and like I'm like, so what days of the week do I get this at my apartment? Because what, <laughs> you know? And Doug acted like he's just going to take it home to his house in Warren. And I was just, I was so, I didn't show it, but I was so peeved. And um, I, uh, I kind of was talking to other people in my group, like, I'm the Foo Fighter guy. Why don't I have this stick? So I, I let it go about two, three months go by. Doug's got to move. I'm helping Doug move because I'm a good friend. And we're going through his stuff. And he pulls the stick out from under his bed, by the way. Just pulls it out from under his bed like it's dirty laundry. And he's like, oh, yeah, you want this stick? And I'm just like, externally, I was very undertaker. I was very like, I could take that, I guess. You know, like, <laughs> no. But internally, I'm like. So uh, yeah, he gave me he gave me the stick probably wow. two months ago, and I've had it. I am pretty darn sure this is actually it's got the. I mean, it's clearly worn and got I mean, beat marks all over it. What else would it be? Right. <laughs> Who else would it be? It's just crazy to me that this guy, just a fan of music in general, goes to shows with his son, caught this stick, and would you still want to keep it though? Like, crazy. Yeah, this like shaman through the night, like he just, he just walked into the light. It's just an angel. Right. <laughs> He's not a real person. Just pass I've that got, on to you. I've got Taylor Stick from 2008. Yeah. It's been on top of one of those set lists behind me. It just sits on top of that set list from that night. I mean, it sits on top of it for the last 15 years. 
what a holy grail, dude. I, I don't have anything that cool for from anybody in, in any of my collections. I mean, that's special. And obviously it's taken on even deeper meaning, you know, with Taylor's passing. Oh. But I mean, that is uh, that is amazing. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. And uh, and Drumstick Doug and I are still friends, even though it almost killed our friendship. He, he doesn't know. <laughs> he doesn't know how important that was to you. Either. Right, right. <laughs> Man, very cool. Um, the next album's coming out in 2011. Any guesses? Wasting Light. Uh, so Wasting Light came out yep. in. When did Wasting Light come out in? I feel like it came out around the same the same time of year. Did it come out in like September of 20? 20- mm. No. First time you've been off, man. Oh. April 12th, 2011. April. Okay. 2011. Lead single was Rope, followed by the White Limo that we see on your t-shirt. Walk, Arlandria, These Days, Bridge Burning. Um, I always felt like this album was so heavy. Like, even they they can be heavy, but this one, I feel like, is almost their heaviest album. Uh, But I love it. It's, it's, um, I love how hard it hits. Um, you got Bridge Burning, Rope, Dear Rosemary, White Limo, Arlandria, These Days, Back and Forth, A Matter of Time, Miss the Misery, I Should Have Known, Walk. Um, yeah, even amidst that heaviness, you've got songs like uh, These Days and Walk, which are, you know, still hit that poppiness to them and, you know, that lightness to them as well. Um, what's your memories of this one? This is uh, this is one of my favorite Foo Fighters CDs. So mm. they're, they're, they're going uh, back to uh dave's garage and backyard they're doing all analog they're getting away from the pro tools and they want to put the human element back in music yeah and they, they came you out can, that back you can tell that, that you can show that shows their process and uh pat came back to the band so we yes. got the back in the back in the uh in the guitar and you're right this is the hardest album since the 90s and it won four grammys i think the only uh nomination they lost that night was to Adele uh, for like artist of the year or whatever Adele won because it was an Adele tidal wave uh, that yeah. year. But, uh, but they won four Grammys. Whatever uh, happened to her. Right. Who'd she ever be? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then uh, walk. So walk was used. That's one of my favorite songs that was used in edges hall of fame. WWE hall yeah. uh, induction was walk. I always think that edge and Taylor Hawkins are the same guy. I mean, we've never seen them in the same spot. Have we? <laughs> <laughs> uh travis put that in my text that i'm going to read from travis did he really <laughs> i believe edge was at um the only foo fighters concert i've ever been to i've only been able to see them once um and i'm ashamed uh it just it only ever worked out once i still hope to see them again but at least i got to see them with taylor at least once um it was music midtown big festival in atlanta in 2012 so they were touring off this album still headliners first night was Foo fighters second night was pearl jam so it was pretty epic uh festival right there and uh my wife and i we got you know mid-range close uh to Foo fire we we pushed up pretty close as far as we could but it was a killer concert and I believe Edge was there. I saw him. This was after his retirement. I think I saw him on Twitter that he was there. Uh, I didn't run into him. We did run into the cast of The Walking Dead, um, which filmed in Atlanta. And so they were wow. all there at the time. This was like peak, peak Walking Dead. So we saw um, Rick and Carl hanging out there. They were on the VIP side. We saw them through the fence. Gotcha. <laughs> but uh, this was the first CD I did not buy. This was... I, iTunes purchase for me on digital, but 
It was also the first vinyl I ever had of Foo Fighters. My roommate yep. at the time, his name was Chuck. He, I had a few vinyls just randomly. Like I had a couple of Bruce Springsteen ones. I had a Bruce Springsteen one on the wall in my townhouse. Uh, his first album, Greetings from Asbury Park. And he just randomly bought me this vinyl, uh, even though I didn't have a record player. He's like, yeah, you know, put it in your collection. I was like, sweet, man, I'm down for it. And so I was like a year later, I finally actually bought a record player. And this is one of the first ones I put on there. And it's still one I you know, go back and throw on the record player to this day because it it rocks. I mean, I, I love this CD uh, and yeah. I still have the CD, the actual CD, but I have gone back and bought the vinyl, too. But uh, I I loved everything about this from the documentary that came with it, the, the actual CD, their whole recording process. There's not much about this cd that there's no there's no throwaways that you can okay. just skip even even white limo which is dave getting his punk out because it is at least one time and they so they put out uh, a video for this too it's on youtube like you talked about for the last album and on in the video they're all partying and screwing around in this pimped out 1980s <laughs> white limo and so they the whole reason i joined twitter was because the white limo was going on tour not the band just the car. Just the limo. Just the limo was going on tour, and it was um, at White Limo Driver, or at White Limo Tour. And um, they were just two guys that the Foo Fighters hired were going to different clubs and pool halls and stopping, and, and they would tell you what, not in Foursquare, they would tell you. Oh, Foursquare. Oh, right, my God. And, and I tracked, I was like, I got to track this. I got to join this Twitter thing join it to track them and they they stopped at a pool hall in royal oak michigan which is metro detroit detroit i'm in lansing so it's about an hour and a half away and uh me and deanna go right after work and so i wore my black shirt black pants white tie yep and deanna deanna got off of work and like we show up and like the the radio dj for 89x in detroit was like are you guys bankers like why are you here you know <laughs> and uh and then Drumstick Doug lived in Metro Detroit, so he shows up and uh, and he met us there, and we all got to hang out and take pictures inside the white limo. And I, you got this shirt, which is, I, to my knowledge, it's not sold in the stores or on the website. You had to get it by being there and getting to party in the white limo. So that was my white limo experience. And my Minnesota friends are jealous because you would think after Michigan they're going to go to Chicago, yeah, you would, hockey, yeah. and then they're going to to minneapolis and they they went from milwaukee to denver <laughs> so my minneapolis friends never did get it here but i got to see the white limo well, in Detroit. and i mean it, i believe it's still your twitter profile picture to this day is it not hair is much darker there but i uh i'm in the limo i'm doing the lemmy killmeister because lemmy's in that video and he's taking his sunglasses down so i'm doing the lemmy there and i took another shot where um i shut my tie in the door I got it stuck in the door on purpose and just the dumbest stuff, but I loved it. <laughs> now, what, where was the job application? How are you not the driver for the white limo? Right. I don't even know who these two guys were. I never, like, you'd think they'd be recognizable or something, but yeah, yeah I, I have no idea. I did ask if they were like for sale after this was over. Are they going to put it on eBay? And they said they weren't going to put it on eBay. They said it would probably go in a bay, but not eBay. So <laughs> they, they probably kept it, I guess, you know? <laughs> Um, I love Arlandria. I'm playing a little bit of that right now. Uh, Dear Rosemary is one of my favorites on here. Obviously, Walk was the big single. Say what? Good. 
somebody actually likes Dear Rosemary. Like, oh, it's one of my favorites. There are so many people. I, I like, I like, they're all my kids, right? All these songs are my kids. So, like, I love Dear Rosemary with Bob Mould singing background oh. vocals. Like, everybody I talk to, like, I, I think Drumstick Doug, Deanna has been in the car and, like, this song isn't the greatest off the album. Oh, like, shut what up. people talk about? Yeah. Get out of here, man. <laughs> Nobody likes Rosemary. I Let's like play it. it. I'll play a little bit of that. Yeah, <laughs> that song rocks. Um, yeah, they, uh, when they played Music Midtown, they opened with White Limo. That was the first song. And then uh, Joan Jett came out towards the end in the encore. And they did, um, uh, oh, my God. Uh, what's Joan Jett's signature <laughs> I've been talking Foo Fighters all night. Um, Jesus. What is wrong she, I love rock and roll. I love rock and roll. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> and Bad Reputation, of course. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So that was awesome. Love that. So... I don't know if you, if this is a big secret or anything, just between you and me and anybody listening, but like, have you ever gotten a set list from a concert or a show, mm -hmm. or do you know how to obtain a set list if you wanted to? I have always wanted like a, I, I have some of Travis's set list from some of his uh, <laughs> early concerts, early, you early got, concerts. You got in there. Yeah, I got it in there. Yeah, I've always wanted a, a set list, and, and I've been front and center and, and have never uh, obtained one. I'm not hot enough. They, well, so Deanna taught me how to get a set list. Her band, as I might have mentioned, is Hanson. Whoa. So like, Mbop Hanson. And I, I didn't Two know. Two ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Right. I never, I didn't know until I met her, like, they are still a thing to this day. Like, they're all hey, married. Man. They're they very talented. Hit. Very they talented. Make music, they make good music. Yeah. They do, um, they do like House of Blues. They do smaller venues. Yeah. But Deanna, Deanna's like, how you get a set list is you can fight with everybody up front. But nobody remembers the sound guy in the back. Ooh. So she's like, if you if you're well, if, unless you're you're married to the idea of getting one from the front. But I mean, otherwise, go to the back. If you make eyes at the sound guy and get his attention and say, hey, at the end of the night, can I possibly have this? I'll still I'll be standing right here. Sometimes they'll give it to you. And Deanna's got like pictures with Hanson. She's met them. She's got like 14 set lists. She's like, I can't tell you it's going to work in a big arena for a big band, though. I don't know. And so starting with um, 2008 in Grand Rapids, I go with Drumstick Doug to my second show in 08, and I try it. And we sit out by the uh, the sound guy yeah. in the back, and I kind of make eyes at him. I'm a boy, so I can't really show any leg, you know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, I, I kind of tell him, and she's like, they're, they're working. They get this every night. They don't want to talk to you, but you got to make it happen. And I'm just like, sir, sir? And I'm just kind of like, follow him until he makes eye contact with me and he finally makes eye contact and i'm like if i stand here can i have your set list and he's just like yeah fine maybe and, I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> and so the whole the whole night i am like holding on to the guardrail because i don't want to get shuffled out to the middle i want to stay right here next to this guy and after it was over he i kind of did the same thing i'm just kind of like he's cleaning up and they're ushering people out and i'm making eyes at him and we, we hooked eyes and he was like, he kind of just eventually like ripped it off and like gave it to me, like get the hell out of here. And um, <laughs> I love it first sight. Yeah. <laughs> just and making those eyes at each other. It's worked uh, one, two, three, four times now. It's worked four oh, times. Oh man. And so I've always given one from the, from the back and I've got it at four, four of the last few concerts I've had floor seats for. Whenever I have floor, I usually try it. Really? God bless Deanna and teaching me how to get a set list. Well, thankfully, there's probably not a lot of people listening to this. So your secret's yes. probably going to be pretty safe. But uh, <laughs> I'm going to use it because I never thought about that. That's brilliant. I've oh, yeah. seen 
I've seen a couple concerts I've been at where I've scored one, and then, uh, like you said, a pretty girl comes up right after me asking the guy, and he's like, "Too late, I already gave it away." I, I have seen that before, but I like, gave it to this ask, cute guy over here. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta, give, you gotta build the rapport before the show. You know, yeah, smart. I like it. <laughs> well, uh, let's go on to 2014. Uh, what do we got here? What, what, uh, what month? Sonic Highways. Sonic Highways was definitely. Definitely fall, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, November... oh, no, Sonic Highways came out on my birthday. November, November 10th. 10th. Yes, it did. Yeah. Bingo. Yeah. Bingo. Uh, lead single was Something for Nothing. And then we had The Feast and the Famine, Congregation, uh, What Did I Do, God is My Witness, and Outside. And uh, certainly, I think their most experimental album, at least up until this time, it was a, um, it was a TV show before it became an album. Uh, is eight songs uh so there's shortest um you know shortest amount of songs a lot of these songs are pretty long but um and each song based upon a city that dave grohl does a little an episode of his series a mini documentary about the music culture and all of these cities and interviews all these artists and sort of uses that to inspire these songs and man i thought this was the coolest thing ever in 2014 thought the show was so well done could have been really cheesy and and, and lame but it was i thought it was very inventive and creative and unique I loved it too. Now I'm, I'm hardcore fan, so you could bottle up anything and I'm going to buy it. So I understand why a uh, regular casual fan maybe just wants to hear, I want to hear 1990s Foo Fighters. Uh, I want to hear them rock. I don't want any gimmick stuff. So I could, I could see that argument, but I, I thought it was great. And I'm all about whatever to keep interested. They've conquered rock. It had been almost 20 years at this point whatever Dave needs to do to be interested in music and staying with this band, I'm all for it. Chris Shiflett once joked, like we're going to do reggae in space. Like that's the next obvious project, you know? So I, I loved it. And I've been to, I try to visit, um, if I'm in a Sonic Highway city, I try to visit the studio, even if, if it's on the outside, I try to take a picture of it. And I've been to three of the eight so far. So I've been to a few of them uh, since the, um, since the documentary came out and the CD. So what have you been to? been to uh oh you're putting on the spot so i've been to seattle where they recorded subterranean i have been to recorded uh congregation with zach brown uh, i think that's i think it's zach brown band's like studio if i'm not mistaken um that was my third one uh i've been to a third one and i can't remember what it is austin texas yes uh, yeah. yes austin texas we were down there in austin texas getting the capital in and we went uh we did uh like where they do Austin city limits. So we yep. there in the studio for that. And um, I really loved that episode, by the way, with uh, Gary Clark jr. Was somebody that um, was, He's awesome. featured, he was featured prevalently on the, on the episode. And then he was also on, God on the Island album. Song. Yeah. yeah. And so like Gary Clark jr. Came around in Minneapolis about five years ago. Indiana go with me. Like none of my friends wanted to go. They're like Gary Clark who? And I loved it. It was great. <laughs> it was awesome. And so this, this did introduce me to new artists and new music. Dude, same here. Like I th I learned a lot from watching the the, doc the documentary series. I thought it was so well done. I learned about a lot of artists I never heard of before. Uh I remember uh, I don't remember which episode it was, but the uh the 13th floor elevators uh, is like this punk band they talked about. Bad Brains I never heard about, but you know, they were great. Um and you know, talked about a lot of great blues artists, which was fun. Um and yeah, I think 
I think if you just listen to this album as an album, it's probably in the lower tier Foo Fighters albums. Like, you know, it's different. It's, it's kind of weird. It doesn't maybe doesn't click, but when you combine it with the series and you, you know, you get to be like, Oh, you're doing like the Leonardo DiCaprio meme. Like he said that in the series. I remember that uh, you do that throughout the album and you appreciate where all this comes from. It, it really elevates it. Place yeah. I, it here. I remember I learned uh, uh, something from something from nothing. That was the first single. So I didn't have the album yet. I just had the single on my iPod and we're driving to uh, Michigan for one of our visits. And I drive the nighttime drive and we stop about halfway through. Been, uh, oh, there is no Fitzy. It's 2014. So just D sleeping. And um, I for about learn the lyrics and just on loop. On yeah. Loop, on over loop. and over again. That's how I learned the song. Uh, I loved it, though. That's a great song. Feasting the Famine is good. Congregation is good. You got some, like you said, a lot of guest artists on here. Joe Walsh makes an appearance on there, which is pretty epic. Yeah. Taylor Hawkins loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they showed that clip, and uh, I think it was in the episode, but then they showed it during his, uh, you know, tribute concert of him just watching Joe Walsh record his solo for this, just being in awe of it. And why wouldn't you be? Joe Walsh is the man. <laughs> right. The CD was great. I like. I think probably most people feel like the documentary was better than the album. I love both because I'm me, but I could see where people would say that. The documentary is very interesting and interviewing Dolly Parton and whoever else yeah. from that city, but maybe... I, I know some Foo Fighter fans didn't love having Dave shackled by writing songs and lyrics that have to do with that. His whatever he's going through, you know, so I could see that, but I loved it. It was great. It came out of my birthday. What a birthday present. Exactly. What, what, uh, what cover did you get? Because there were covers for each city. I have the Nashville one because that was the most Southern. And as a Southern boy, I had to get the Nashville one. I don't know if I remember that there were different covers. Yeah, I think there were eight different covers. And you put them together and it makes one picture. Maybe for the vinyl. I mean, it may not be for the... Right, because yeah, it, it kind of has the big picture all in one for the CD. Yeah, I believe the vinyl, you could get... It's broken up as, for each city. Eight of them. Okay, yeah, gotcha. So you got to get eight different vinyls for your collection. I got, I got one of them. So I just have to go <laughs> out there and get a few more. Okay, didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll send you a picture. I didn't bring it down here. I'll, I'll send you a picture of it. Sure. But yeah, very fun album. Uh, again, I like you said, I get the criticisms of it, but uh, I think for hardcore fans, it's very fun, especially if you like the series. And Dave had done the uh, uh, Sound City documentary a couple years before that, which I think kind of inspired him to start doing this other stuff. Oh my gosh, I love the Sound City documentary. I know Me it's too. not part of what we're doing today, but I loved it. And I love the soundtrack that comes with it, by the way. I mean, you've got... Paul McCartney with Nirvana. <laughs> Paul McCartney replacing Kurt Cobain and Nirvana. Like, it doesn't get any more mind-blowing than that. I love all those songs. Absolutely. That came out about the time I was studying for the bar exam, so that was not helpful in getting ready for the bar exam. <laughs> I'm still waiting for Sonic Highways, too. I, I, can't, I was sure there was going to be multiple seasons. I'm still waiting. They had talked about going to eight more cities and choosing other ones. I'm like, maybe sure. they'll choose Minneapolis and they'll do a Prince tie-in. It's going to be oh, great. there you go. Yeah. Yeah, I thought they were going to come to Georgia. Maybe Athens. There's a lot of huge okay. music culture in Athens, Atlanta as well. Yeah, S still holding out hope. You never know. Uh, so then we moved to 2017. Uh, in 
2017 concrete and gold. Oh, I don't know. I have, I have no idea about concrete and gold, which would show you my level of interest in concrete. Well, let's talk about it. September 15th, 2017 <laughs> lead single was run followed by the sky is a neighborhood and the line. I don't remember the line being a single, but apparently it was, uh, you got t-shirt run, make it bright. The sky is a neighborhood, Lottie da dirty water, uh, arrows, uh, happy ever after parentheses zero hour Sunday rain, the line and concrete and gold. Um, let me tell you, man, t-shirt is one of my favorite opening songs for an album. I love a good minute, 30 minute, 45 song. Give me more of those, man. Remind me of a uh, doll off of the color and the shape. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I love songs like this. Um, and, and and run is really good. I think the skies and neighborhood is really good. Yeah. But this is the first album of theirs where I did not just fall in love with it, and I still still doesn't fully click with me. Um, I tell you, I listened to every album in preparation for this podcast uh, over the past week, and I did like it a lot more than I remembered liking it. And again, as I said earlier in the show, I think if this album came out in two thousand five and I listen to it all the time, yep. I'd probably like it a lot more. Because it's, it's not bad, but I just don't... It never grabs me like their other albums do. There is definite fall-off after Run and Sky is the Neighborhood. There is definite fall-off there. and I wonder if it gets watered down. Again, Dave's trying to do stuff different musically. He's trying to redefine rock, and that's that's great. That's admirable. But I want, like, do we need Boys to Men and Justin Timberlake and Paul McCartney, who are all wonderful? But I think I think the the casual fan just wants to hear the Foo Fighters rock, and they just want them yep. to get in the studio and just do regular stuff. So I think it gets watered down a little bit. Um, I do remember the line. I don't remember being a single, but I remember the line was featured prevalently in the MLB playoffs that fall. So they oh, okay everything's on the line, you know. Yeah. So I, I do I do remember that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we got a great Taylor vocal on Sunday Rain. I think that's a highlight of the album for me too. Yeah, that's another great. See, Taylor always gets a, that one song and he always knocks it out of the park, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But the sound of the songs, too, is good, too. I dig that. I remember The Sky is a Neighborhood being pretty popular on uh, my local rock station at the time, too. Uh, I don't know if it was a huge, huge hit overall because, uh, you know, this is 2017. Rock music is not what it was. But uh, for the yeah. time, I remember this being a pretty big. Yeah, and like the leadoff single was run, and they made a video of them in the nursing home as old men. And yes, another great video. And, and and which was it was awesome. And then the sky as a neighborhood came out, and it was just like you just shove run to the side because you're yeah. like, what is this? You know, <laughs> it's good. Sky as a neighborhood feels like it could have been on Sonic Highways too. It kind of gave me some similar vibes to that. But uh, yeah, I get you. We, I think we're both. Uh, both have this towards the bottom of our list but right. it's still it's like pizza you know bad foo fighters is still good you know i don't even call it bad it's just you know not to the level of their other albums somebody's got to be ranked at the bottom it's someone inevitable. has to be yeah yes and uh some people might rank the next album towards the bottom of theirs medicine of midnight from 2021 four-year break in between albums here uh was that february it was february absolutely February 25th, the dance album leading off with shame, shame. And then they had no son of mine waiting on a war, making a fire and live love dies young. Um, 
album order is making a fire shame shame cloud spotter waiting on a war medicine of midnight no son of mine holding poison chasing birds love dies young i really dug shame shame and Mm -hmm. uh medicine of midnight i thought those were such fun vibes when i heard them and i thought this was experimentation in the best way uh maybe where the last album wasn't i thought they did a lot of things right on this album yeah they definitely they went out there with the dance like he's going to do a dance album like he wants to do what you know uh but uh yeah i i did like medicine at midnight which i felt was the most dancey tune out of all of them i think my favorite tune off of the whole album was love dies young which mm-hmm. makes sense because love dies young is probably the most in your lane foo fighters song on the entire album so i'm like sense because everybody wants to hear the Foo Fighters rock and not necessarily do dance. It reminds me of uh, Kiss did a, a concept album in 1981 called The Elder. And like that concept album was like where this it tells a story from the first track to the end. It tells a whole story. It's like a comic book almost. And everybody right. everybody hated it because they wanted Kiss to just rock. And so I, I that kind of reminded me of this uh, this uh, CD. But there are some gems in there. Like I love I loved Loves Dies Young, the song. I didn't love the, for whatever reason, I just didn't jive with the video when they were synchronized swimmers and there's a turd in the pool. I was like. Don't think I've seen that. (laughs) Uh, The old Caddyshack moment. Um, I I think this song, as well as uh, Holding Poison, that could be on, those could be on any Foo Fighters album and they fit right in. I think Holding Poison is one of my favorite songs on the album fits right in um and then like i said i like shame shame i like medicine at midnight they both they don't sound like traditional foo fighter songs but um i enjoy what they are and i i'm i'm always here from ex- for experimentation i appreciate that they want to do something different they want to grow and not just do the same thing over and over again yeah. and it, i always am here for a swing and a miss rather than just a complete you know strike out watching the ball come <laughs> there are and, and not doing anything and I don't want to disparage anybody, but there are some bands out there. And I also am not edu- as educated on other bands, but I feel like Metallica might be one of them, but I may be wrong. But there are some bands out there, Metallica or otherwise, that like, you're right. They just rinse and repeat and they're 30 year career. You can't argue with that. They're popular, you know, but I do appreciate reaching out and trying some different stuff. Yeah. Um, again, maybe if this came out and. You know, 10 years beforehand, I might have listened to it a lot more and and gotten into it a lot more. And maybe we'll grow to love it more as the years go by. But uh, as it is, it's it's fine. But we'll take it. You know, some good stuff on there. In 20 years and we'll be like, you know, what was great. Concrete and gold. Concrete and gold. That looks killer. (laughs) Uh, And then, you know, uh, obviously tragedy struck in uh, 2022 when Taylor Hawkins passed away untimely and um course nobody knew what was going to happen would the band live on what were they going to be able to do and here we are but here we are in 2023 june june 2nd 2023 i hope you remember that uh since it just came out but um they came back the foo fighters came back they stayed alive uh and they have recorded this incredible new album i think we both agree it is incredible and um, not just as a response, as a as a comeback, if you will, you know, in the loss of Taylor, but just as an album itself, it, it is fantastic. Uh, the lead single is rescued. Other singles, were, uh, I, I don't know if you can call them singles, but they released right. them before the album. We had Under You, Show Me How, The Teacher, and The Glass. 
Um, the album goes rescued under you hearing voices, but here we are the glass, nothing at all. Show me how beyond me, the teacher and rest. And, uh, man, I, I, I knew we both said, all right, how are we going to incorporate the undertaker into this? Well, here's what I'm thinking. Concrete and gold medicine and midnight. Those were like undertaker in 2005 and 2006, you know, he's up against Randy Orton. He's up against Mark Henry. It's still great to see undertaker on the screen, but yeah kind of going through the motions kind of phoning it in it is what it is there's some good moments in there but it's not the best sure. but here we are as undertaker in i want to say 08 going up against edge just reinvigorated him gave him a new purpose and he yeah. puts out some of the best stuff he's put out in his whole career even though he's 20 years into it and that's how i feel with but here we are obviously you don't you know they were reinvigorated by tragedy you know by this horrible thing that happened but it gave them new purpose it gave them new life to come out and just put out this statement that just blows you away yeah no no gimmicks no tie-ins this is just back to the first album where this is dave and now the band going through this very real situation that we as fans are experiencing too mm. and so this is dave just and I think you and I texted about, like, I don't know if the Foo Fighters will continue under the name Foo Fighters, but I know Dave Grohl will continue to make music because that's that's how he heals. That's what he does. And um, he did decide to keep the Foo Fighters going, and this is just them getting in the studio and working it out. And I think the coolest part about this album is how obvious it is. So I know when the first album came out, everything was, is this about Kurt Cobain? Is my hero about Kurt Cobain? and you weren't very sure it's kind of veiled this is flat out out there and very obvious that this is about taylor or this is about his mom or both so that you know? yeah yeah so i think this is very out there and i think we talk about wrestling the best storylines in wrestling are when you blur the the lines of reality and fiction and fans are like oh man i think this is really real and I think it's the same thing a little bit with this album is fans are like, this is a Foo Fighters getting back to their roots. There's no gimmicks. They're just doing rock and they sound like themselves. And this is also very real and fans glom onto that because again, we're going through it too. Absolutely. It's, it's cathartic for us as fans yes. to, to feel this. And yeah, it's, it's not vague. It, it is out there. It is open. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, Dave has not always been that way where, you know, uh, with his lyrics, like, like you said, and they can be very vague and very, you know, broad, but these are pretty clearly in response to Taylor and, and to the loss of his mother as well. And, and, you know, we as fans need to go through that and are mourning that as well. So I appreciate how raw and how vulnerable it is and to do it in such a short amount of time. Like they didn't take any time off i mean that happened a year ago and this album is out a year later uh and um it's pretty um amazing that they're able to have that um, that sort of turnaround on there yeah i was shocked because I, I remember looking up acdc when they lost bond scott they go through the grieving process they get brian johnson they come out with uh you know back in black which is a pretty formidable album and i'm like so what was that five years it was like three months i look it Whoa. up this it it crazy town that is and I'm crazy like, I think Dave's going to make music. That's what he does. He's a busybody. He drinks like five cups of coffee a day. He doesn't right. sleep. I think they'll be back, but I, I agree with you. I thought it was going to be the typical two, three, four years in between records, especially maybe even longer now that there's this added element of healing. 
And I think, I think Dave's catharsis is making music. So getting into the studio is what he does to feel better. So that's, we got this record and it's awesome. And I believe Dave went back to playing all the drums for this one in Taylor's absence, correct? Yep. Yep. So he's back to being the studio drummer and, uh, you know, the rest of the foos worked out their parts and it's awesome. This sounds like the most nine for everybody that's been complaining all these yeah. years about where's the <laughs> 1990s Foo Fighters. This is as close as you're going to get. This like is Dave, it, man. Dave is not going to write songs about breaking up with his girlfriend because he's past that now in life. But musically, though, uh, with the melody and everything, this is as close as you're going to get. Oh, but there is. Yes, there is that. Absolutely. I 100 percent agree. But there is also so much growth here. And, sure. and you see that evolution of them over there, um, you know, 30 year career almost at this point it is so much blended in here i'm playing the teacher right now and i remember yeah. we were texting when this song came out it's like you talked about it as like a beatles suite i said it had some grateful dead elements just in this sort of some jam in there in 10 minutes i didn't look at the time when i yeah. played this song when it first came out and i kept thinking it was over and i kept looking down at my phone like there's more how, how is there more how does this keep going and it's you know, it's quickly become one of my favorite songs of theirs ever. I did think that in the car yesterday. I was driving back from work and I, I had, it came on. I was listening to the album. And I, you think 10 minutes, it's going to be a slog fest. This is going to be terrible. But you're right. You're driving, you're listening. And then I looked, I looked up the first time. It was like seven minutes and 44 seconds. I was like, whoa, this song's yeah. almost over. It's crazy how fast it goes. And then uh, Rest is just really beyond me, the teacher and Rest, just this whole ending um the, the whole album goes on a journey it, you talked about a concept album i mean this album really is it's mm -hmm. all about you know grief and loss and mourning and you know celebrating life as well and rest is just this beautiful coda at the end in a foo fighters way because you know at the very end it's just that hard heaviness there at the right. end but how else would foo fighters really you know have a song that like this without that you know you know what i mean this beginning part that you're playing, it's like I, I got very something in the way Nirvana vibes from this song is like the beginning part. I was like, wow, this is something in the way, like end of the album, very yeah. quiet. Like I think Kurt recorded that with an acoustic guitar in the closet, barely moving his lips. And like, that's what this reminded me of. And then you're right at the end, of course, like the Foo Fighters do, it picks up. You yeah, know? <laughs> a little bit of that right there. Yeah, it's a great transition and exactly it it, it it probably is their best album ender, I think. Uh, I sure. love Comeback. Uh, I think that's one of my favorite album enders, but this one, I think it's taking the cake. And I felt like, again, reading too much into it, he talks about meeting, at the end of the song, he talks about meeting them again in the Virginia sun. Mm. That's got to be about his mom, right? It has to be, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> it has to be. Um, and me, I, me just losing my own grandfather, uh, you know, a, a week ago, uh, I feel like that I'm in that same headspace right now, or a similar headspace anyway. Yeah. And I'm like, so I totally am picking up the vibes from songs like that. Absolutely. I mean, I'm sure that was a very emotional listen for you. I know you, we talked a little bit about you. You had to wait a little bit to even listen to the whole album because of all that going on. So yeah, I, I can't imagine, you know, blending all of that together. Biggest Foo Fighter fan ever. And like the first album's coming out and like, it's not like we put out albums every year. Like it used to be it's like, this <laughs> yeah, is every, this is like the Olympics every three or four years we get an album and I have to have parents visiting unfortunate family death. I'm traveling. I'm like, can, I'm trying to get back into work and I'm like, can I just listen to this CD? That's all I want to do. 
Oh man. Um, well, we're not going to go in depth on the, there's so much Foo Fighter, you know, besides the studio albums, you know, they sure. put out a lot of EPs, a lot of record store day exclusives, a lot of additional songs. Um, they recorded a full disco album as the DGs. Um, they have a full movie studio six, 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 which you've got the poster behind you, which they had a full album backing that. I mean, um, what are some of the just ephemera of Foo Fighters that uh, that you love that uh, you want to talk about? Yeah, I loved that DG's album more than I think I was. I it, care to admit, you know, like when that came out, I thought, well, I'll, I'll go get it. It's Foo Fighters. I'll get it. But I could not believe when I played that thing at home, like this is Dave Grohl. Like this is not like the actual Bee Gees. I couldn't believe that he could get his voice up there. It was That's crazy. Fun. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I love them. The merchandise site, they have the uh, 70s stuff that you could buy with the DG's logo, including uh, what I believe to be a, a cocaine mirror, <laughs> or at least there's <laughs> that way to me. So I, I loved all that stuff. And then when Studio 666 came out, that was, that's horror movies and the Foo Fighters. Like, that's two of my interests. We just need a little JFK in there and I'm home. <laughs> well, dude, you had that and the undertaker escape the undertaker on Netflix. Those came out within weeks of each other. So like, I couldn't imagine a better scenario for you as a horror movie undertaker, Foo Fighters lover to have all of those combined in a matter of time. Yeah. I mean, is there, was there a better time to be Randy Turco? Everything's right. coming up, Randy. I think this, uh, I think this, this only had two weeks that it was playing in the theaters and I knew it was going to stream and it could pick it up at home in five seconds. And, but I still went out there and then my, my buddy that I was going to go with, uh, my horror movie buddy, Nick, he got sick because it was like the middle of winter and he's like, I can't go. So I ended up driving out in a snowstorm to the theater by myself. To in COVID. That, in COVID to watch the movie with the mask on. And um, I remember just fanboying out as I came out of the theater and I talking to these teenagers that work at the theater and I'm like, Hey man, uh, the poster, you know, this is like a two week run. Like if nobody asks for it, like, can I have the poster? Can you write my name and number down? And they're like, sure. Uh... You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, and then what's what even worse than that is they, I had to follow up with them. So the two weeks I were up and I gave it like a day or two and I didn't get a call. So I drove back uh, and I drove back saying, Hey, um, I talked to Clark, I don't know who the guy's name was, but I talked to somebody and uh, I gave my name and number. And then they said, if no staff people want the poster, uh, maybe I could have it. And he was like, I'll check. And they went out back. And when he came out, there it was. He was all rolled up. And so I, I went and bought a frame for it. And there it is. And what a great centerpiece for the collection there. Yeah, I love it. It's great. You know, uh, uh, Dave, uh you know he's he's an okay actor uh <laughs> the band some were better than others uh you know taylor and rami were actually pretty good you know nate maybe shouldn't quit his day job <laughs> <laughs> i was just gonna say that they probably won't win any academy awards but they did good enough where i didn't um i did the, the i didn't get i did get lost in the story like i'm supposed to i didn't get I wasn't thrown off by their terrible acting. I was still involved in the story. So they did a good enough job anyway. And the, the, uh, the score, the opening score was written by John Carpenter. Dave got John Carpenter to do that. Sounds very Halloween-ish. Yeah. And then, um, and some the kill, kills were bloody. Brutal kills. Yeah. <laughs> My gosh. Um, and I, you know, I believe Foo Fighters are, or Dave Grohl at least, um, is the, has been, 
a musical guest on Saturday Night Live more than any other artist. Um, it always shocked me that he's never hosted because he is, you know, so funny in the music videos. I thought for sure when Studio 666 came out, he was going to host SNL at some point, but never happened. I guess it still could. I feel like they've they had to have asked, and he said no. Yeah. Right? It's the same reason, like, why have they not been the Super Bowl band? Like, they they had to have been asked. And they've Dave said, definitely been asked. Yeah. And I was going to put my paycheck maybe when I was in college on. We're, we're definitely doing a pay per view uh, theme. There's definitely going to be a pay per view theme song. Our kind of heading our way from the Foo Fighters, and it never happened. So they must have just said no. There's no other explanation. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um. Uh. I want to mention. Their uh, Greatest Hits album um, that came out in 2009, I think. Yeah. Um, because some, a couple of my favorite songs are on this album. And, you know, it's usually the Greatest Hits album. You, you record a throwaway song to throw on there as a single to sell the album. But Wheels is like a lost Tom Petty song. It's so good. Uh, word for word. Uh, that song I used to rock out to. Yes. And... Uh, Band on the Run, their cover of Band on the Run. I got to mention that because, again, Undertaker connection. Yeah. The only time I believe Foo Fighters sang the word Undertaker is in the verse. Uh, the Undertaker drew a heavy sigh, saying no one else had come. So uh, there is the crossover with Undertaker and Foo Fighters. <laughs> as vague as it is, it's there. I, I remember I listening it. to that, that, um, that cover for the first time, and I'm like, please, as, we, as we're building up to it, I'm like, please let there be the little... please let that be there and then it was and i was like yes um they've done some great covers throughout the years what do you have a favorite foo fighters cover song oh gosh well i love they were they were riding uh young man blues for a while uh so they were riding that for a while i love uh their cover of you're so vain Mm. Uh, simon yes 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 yes. that's the most i've known that song i mean i knew that song but not all the words like i do now no they kill that song yeah love that song yes those are Uh, some of the those are some of the live some of those are only live only they haven't done a studio version but i I do some some of those saved because they're live and you can't get them anywhere else do you have a favorite uh what's your favorite album cover i know you talked about fantasizing about the album covers before they came out uh which one's the best I would probably go back to the just to the gun because it's got that origin story with my mom and <laughs> sure. the, and then I went out and bought the gun so I could have it on my wall and um, that and I think his wife at the time was a photographer and she took that picture and that ended up being the album cover and then how how cool of a thing is that you know and and that ties in with the Foo Fighters name and Dave's love of sci-fi and right right I like Echo Silence Patience and Grace I like that album cover um yeah. I, and i like sonic highways i like especially you know when they have them broken out which you didn't realize <laughs> what's the different sure. album covers? <laughs> uh, i got one more done i gotta go check it my you gotta go see which one you have that's right, right yeah. uh do you have a favorite um they, they've had a lot of great um legendary artists guest on some of their albums do you have a favorite guest artist who's appeared on a food fighters album uh, probably, probably Gary Clark Jr. from the okay. uh, from Sonic Highways. I was really into Gary. I, I bought a couple of his CDs. Still buying CDs in in twenty fourteen. No, nah, he's way. good. He's good. And then, then like I said, I, we went and saw that show, and I couldn't find any friends. Nobody wanted to come with me, so Deanna had to Deanna had to suffer through it. Uh, God bless her. But I I had a great time. I loved that. And I was really turned on to Gary Clark Jr. Yeah. because of Sonic Highways. I'd like to see him for sure. 
and then lastly, before we get into our top our top eleven ranking the albums, Randy Turco, you have a choice to go out to dinner with one person, one historical figure in history. Are you going to go out with dinner with Dave Grohl, with The Undertaker? Oh gosh, with John F. Kennedy, or with Gene Simmons? Who are you going out to dinner with? Oh gosh, that's tough. That's tough. <laughs> oh man, I would. In the hopes that we're going to get our one dead man show, I'll throw The Undertaker out because I feel like there's a compensatory opportunity for me to meet him there, right? So I'll throw him out. Sure. Um, wow. I would love to meet Gene Simmons and or, or Paul Stanley. Hey, I didn't kid. know who was your man in Kiss. Yeah. Uh, when we would dress like Kiss, I was usually Ace Freely because nobody else wanted to be Ace Freely, but that's how <laughs> so I fell on that grenade. Um, I would probably, so it's down to JFK or Dave Grohl. That is crazy. I don't know. Which what a time, choice. Right? <laughs> man, I would probably, I, yeah, I would probably say, oh man, that is tough. I would probably say, they say, don't meet your heroes. And I know everybody's flawed. So I don't want to, I don't know if I want to discover how John F. Kennedy's flawed. I don't know if I want to know that any more than I already do. I would probably pick Dave Grohl. Wow. Okay. All right. I would probably pick Dave Grohl. There's no other way I'm going to meet him or see him. He's probably going to cook you barbecue too. You're right. Wait, there's no loss there, right? That's, that's a total game. <laughs> I'd rather have that than clam chowder or whatever I would have with John F. Kennedy. So. <laughs> <laughs> clam chowder. <laughs> All right. Um, any other stories, any other random notes you want to squeeze in here before we uh, close it out? No, I think I went through all my notes pretty good as we went through. Um, How many times have you seen them in concert? Oh, yeah, that's a good point. So I save all my I save all my ticket stubs, as you can see, the four the four set lists there. And then you see the Foo Fighters poster. And then the tickets where I didn't get a set list are, on, are lined up on the bottom there. Okay. And so it comes out to 11. I thought it was more than that. I thought I was at 14, but I guess it's only 11. And then in the top, uh, the top yeah. corner. There, What's in the top corner? Those were the tickets that were supposed to be Minneapolis, August of 2022. No way. And those were canceled and refunded, obviously. Oh so I was supposed God. to see them twice. I haven't seen them since uh, 2017. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> the famous, uh, no, 2018. 2018, I saw them for Concrete and Gold. 2018, I haven't seen them since then because in 2020 was supposed to be the 25th anniversary tour. They were going to go around in a red van. And they were going to recreate their first ever tour in 95 and go to all the same spots. And one of them oh, was wow. Detroit. Uh, a, a week I was supposed to be in Detroit anyway. And I was like, I'm going. Bought tickets, COVID, refunded. And I'm like, okay. And then two years later, they're going to go um, They're going to go on tour with the 25. And then the fives crossed out with the six, the 26th anniversary yeah. tour. And, uh, you know, Minneapolis. And for a while, it was booked at the University of Minnesota football stadium where the Gophers play. Ooh. And I thought, oh my God, here we go. This is awesome. Foo Fighters at the Gopher Stadium. And then they canceled that because I think they couldn't come to an agreement on the COVID policy. So they moved to the Viking Stadium across town. And it's like, okay, it's going to be at the Viking Stadium. And I bought tickets. And then obviously everything with Taylor happened the way that it did. So those tickets are no good. But I still kept them because I felt like I should keep them. Oh, that's a historical document. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, right. <laughs> are you... You don't have plans to see them on this tour, right? I, well, if they uh, they haven't come anywhere near here yet. There's nothing close. Yet. Yeah. No, they haven't been close yet. They've done a couple of festivals. Like they have a festival they're doing in like Milwaukee, which is like five hours away. 
you know, and I just don't know. That's a long way to go for a festival, which you maybe you know more about festivals than I do. I don't, I don't want to pay to see eight bands. I only want to see one band. So I don't know. I don't know if it's the juice is worth the squeeze for me. You know, I mean, it depends. I, I, I feel like, I feel like you could have a, a good enough time. You know, you could, you, you can find other stuff to listen to. And uh, I don't know. It, it depends on how bad you want to see the band. It's it's funny because the I, I saw them when they toured with they did a double bill one time with Red Hot Chili Peppers in 2000. They did a double bill with legendary Bob Dylan in 2006 for the acoustic tour. And I uh, so the uh, 2001 with the Chili Peppers, they would uh, rotate who opened and who closed. I saw the Foo Fighters in Cleveland. Uh, There's actually a. Uh, um, oh, yes. A bootleg CD of it. Uh, from yes. 2000 in Cleveland and I saw them and uh, they opened up that night. And then I convinced uncle Dave to bounce as soon as the chili peppers were starting. <laughs> no, come on. <laughs> Cause I didn't have any interest. He wanted to hear, give it away. So we waited two, three songs to hear, give it away now. And then we got in the car and left. And then uh, in 2006 for Bob Dylan, Foo Fighters obviously opened for Bob Dylan without right. question. And it was, a, it was the acoustic tour. And I had to get back to Lansing, Michigan because I was in the middle of election season. I'm working for the house of representatives and I had to go. And so I never saw Bob Dylan. I peaced uh, out before Bob took the stage and did so. I don't know if I should go to a festival, man. Yeah, you maybe maybe you shouldn't go to a festival. <laughs> I don't think you'll get your money's worth. <laughs> oh, man. I wish you hadn't told me all that. <laughs> um, There's a great story. Uh, I think it's Storytellers on VH1 where Dave talks about uh, Bob Dylan talking to them about Everlong and how. Uh, do you remember that? I do. Yeah. 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 That's the only song he, he, that was like the only words he spoke to them on the whole tour. I was like, I really like that song. <laughs> I just thought it was such a wacky pairing. And I'm like, well, maybe. Oh, I yeah. This. I'm like, you know, I could probably be home in my apartment and, you know, getting much needed rest for work the next day by the time that Bob Dylan's done playing. And I'm like, so I bounced. I bought my shirt and I left. Oh, you got to at least stay for a couple songs to say you saw him. <laughs> I Tragic. Didn't. I did. <laughs> I I imagine the foos will go on like a uh, more traditional tour, maybe sure. in the early part of 2024. It wouldn't surprise me that, like, you know, testing the waters with a lot of these festivals and giant shows, but I could see a, a, a stadium tour coming or arena <laughs> tour, not stadium arena tour coming. That's a good thing soon. to do in the summer, do the festivals in the summer. And then when everything gets cold, head into the arena, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I'm going to make it a goal to see them for a second time next time. I have the opportunity to because hey, I am. You got to score a set list. I will do my best. I will do my best. But uh, let's do our list right here. Let's close it out, dude. The fans, the three people listening to this are dying to know <laughs> our rankings of the Foo Fighters studio albums. We are doing the studio albums, not the DGs, not the Studio 666 soundtrack here, but the 11 studio albums we talked about. Um, bottom to the top. You are the leader here. Uh, would you like to go first or second? Sure, I can go first. Okay. Now, preface, disclaimer, legal disclaimer. These, uh, these are these are all my kids. Like as you said, absolutely. What do they say? Uh, pizza and sex are like <laughs> where it's like when it's good, it's good, and when it's bad, it's still pretty good. So I love all my Foo Fighters stuff, especially when there's at the same time. <laughs> right at the same time. Uh, so I put concrete and gold at the bottom. I as well. Concrete and gold was in my number 11. Uh, you know, like we said, 
I, I like it more and more the more I listen to it. Uh, and there are some solid songs on there, but yep. somebody's got to be at the bottom. That's right. Just a little too watered. Wanting the Foo Fighters to get back to their, their normal stuff. But um, but yeah, I, I enjoy parts of it, but it's definitely at the bottom considering everything else. All right. What do you got for number 10? Number 10, Medicine at Midnight, the dance album, 2021. Well, so far we're two for two. That is also my number 10. You know, I really, mm, I, I thought about it. Like I, I played with it. I kind of wanted to be creative and say those weren't my bottom two, but just wasn't right. I, I couldn't force it up there. I, there's a lot of things I like about Medicine at Midnight. Yeah, I really appreciate the creativity of it, but it just, it's it doesn't always click for me. Uh, so yeah, hat. Those two got to be 11 and 10, unfortunately. Yep. I, as we talked about, I love that Dave's like, I don't care about awards and sales. I want to do this thing. I, I don't care. I want to. And so I love that. And there's parts of it that are great, but I can see why it's, it's near the bottom compared to everything else, which are just, yeah. monster, you know, uh, I well, put, here's where it gets tough. Yeah. I think both of those were easy for us. Here's where it gets tough. <laughs> I think we'll diverge here. I, I put the next one up I, at uh, nine. I put Sonic highways. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, this one might be controversial, probably a little too low, but, uh, I actually went with one by one as my number nine Okay, and, uh, and that's hard because that is a solid album. Some of those songs on there are in like my top 10, top 15 Foo Fighter songs, but I, I think it's a little disjointed as an album. I think, you know, obviously the chaos going behind this on behind the scenes, right. I think that bleeds into the album a little bit. And I think the the songs I don't like on that album or just don't, I really don't like, uh, but the songs I, I do like, I love, but uh, yeah, I just, I don't know, man. I, I It ended up going number nine for me. It's definitely fall off there. And I think with Sonic highways, me putting that near the bottom, it's just, I think I tried to take all the gimmick albums all the project albums. Let's tie into a movie. That's fair. Let's tie, let's tie into a documentary. I think I tried to put those towards the back and then like, let's get to the real albums after that. So I think that was my reasoning for that. I got you. Um, so after Sonic Highways, we're up to number eight now. And eight, I put In Your Honor, the double CD. Mm, okay. Okay. I put Sonic Highways here. Uh, I okay. actually, I, I just think it's fun. And I, and I really like the... Uh, it's I couldn't separate it from the TV show and, and I think they just go hand in hand and um I and I think there's some really epic songs on this album too. Uh that's why I put it above one by one. I know that's probably blasphemy to a lot of uh, a lot of Food <laughs> Fighters fans, but uh I actually if I had to go had a choice to go back and listen to them, I I'd I'd pick that one over one by one a little bit just because uh I think it's really fun. So that's my number eight. Yeah, In Your Honor was definitely a, an experiment uh, with the two discs. I remember being stressed out. What a problem to have. First world problems. I'm like, I have to learn 20 songs. It's crazy, <laughs> you know? Uh, but I think that was Dave's That's first a good foray. problem to have. Right, right, right. I think this is Dave's first foray into experimenting and, and just doing different stuff. So I tried to keep it all at the back, but still love it. Still love, love parts of that. Sure. Uh, number seven, self-titled Foo Fighters album. And I think that was... Uh, just because a little bit about what we talked about earlier, so many good things uh, about it. it obviously, jump started the whole band. Very raw, very emotional. But again, it's not polished. It's just Dave doing it himself. They haven't become a band yet and 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 grown musically. So that's why I put it at seven. Same here. That's my number seven. Is <laughs> self titled. Um, 
like we said when we first talked about it, I think it falls off in the second half and um, starts. But the, the first half is all bangers and still classics, still songs they play. And I, to me, the first, like I said, the first half and really the whole album, it doesn't feel like it came out in 1994. Like that album, you, you that could come out on rock radio today. And, and some of those songs would fit right in. And uh, I think that's, he just came out so polished and so strong with this vision and sound. Um, and that's why it's, it's at number seven and not at the bottom, you know, a lot of, right. a lot of bands, maybe their first album might be in the bottom tier, but I think, you know, he's able to, uh, the, the, the strong songs on it really elevate it here. Absolutely. So what are we at? We're up to number six now. Number six. Number six, Echo, Silence, Patience, and Grace from 2007. I think you had it higher if I, just based on what we talked about earlier. But uh, I, I, there's just, and it's no fault of Echoes at all. I love Echoes. It's just all, I mean, we're getting to the top. We're getting to the nitty gritty now. So we're getting to the top five. So Very I tough. think it, it kind of got edged out for me um, by my next entry. So that, that's it's nothing. I don't have, to have any criticisms. It's just the other stuff is just so darn good. Well, I mean, your number, uh, I, I, I'm, you can say the same thing about what I'm going to say, because I know this one is higher for you. Number six for me is Wasting Light. And again, okay. that's really tough for me when I was looking at these, like, how is that number six? Because I love that album. And um, yeah, it's so strong. It's so solid all the way through. Um, and it's very fun to listen to. I don't think there's a weak song on there. But uh, I guess the strong songs on these next albums are just a little bit stronger uh, to me. But man, it's a really solid number six for me. So we're in the top five now. Top five. Top five is number five. There's nothing left to lose. So the the poppy uh, radio friendly songs as a triad before Chris Shiflett came aboard. Uh, so many good memories that, that are attached to that album for me. So it's definitely top five worthy. Uh, and I still wow. got the tag. Yeah. <laughs> so I went with number five. I went with, but here we are. Uh, putting okay. it in the top five. It, uh, I thought, oh man, is this just recency bias? Is it too high? Um, honestly, it might go higher one day. The more I listen to it, it just keeps getting better and better. It just tells this complete story throughout. It is a return to form for them. And um, I think it's incredible that 30 years into their career that they're able to come out with an album that I think is a top five album for them. And uh, I love it. I can't wait to continue to grow with it and find new things I like about it and uh, listen to it for years to come. I agree. I, I worried about like recency bias. Like, how will this go? Like, I was just going to, that was a point I was going to make. Like, this could go higher one day or even lower, depending on how it grows with me. But as of right now, it, I ranked it where I ranked it. But I, it's it's great that you thought the same thing. Like, well, I want to put it here, but it may not stay here. We'll see. We'll see what happens. You know, I remember um, Nirvana had a song, first song off the In Utero album, Serve the Servants. Like, I just, that was always a skip song for me. Like, all right, next. And like, as the years went on, it grew on me and now yeah. it's like now it's one of my favorites i don't know that's stuff changes you know it does yeah you know there's there's so many albums in my life where i've listened to it the first time and be like that sucked but then like i right. you know i'll find it again you know a couple months later i put it in and be like oh i like this now and then i'll listen to it a third time i was like this is my favorite album <laughs> like, yeah. music needs to grow on you you need to listen to stuff 
you know, over and over again, a lot of times, especially if it's new or different or experimental, uh, the first time it hits you, it's, it's not as good as the third, fourth, fifth, sixth time. Absolutely. All right. So, number four. Number four, one by one. All right. Yeah. Way yeah. higher than me. Yeah. Way higher. Um, I, I loved the, I loved everything about the album. Um, I got, I got a good memories attached to it. I'd love the, um, the album that we got, but also listening to the million dollar demos, it was almost like I got the album twice and I didn't get the million dollar demos until, I mean, maybe three, four years ago. And I finally got to listen to them. Like, this is not bad. It's just different. So, uh, so many good parts of that album, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's up there for me. Number four. I mean, I don't fault you for that. Yeah. Right? Uh, I think that's probably a more common opinion. Uh, so, you know, no argument there. Uh, number four for me is Echo, Silence, Patience and Grace. Um, like anything in the top four, honestly, I could have put it number one at some point right. for me. Um, like you said, strong memories at the time in my life are attached to this album. And I think it's a perfect blending of, you know, the two sides of In Your Honor, they they come together here in this one album. Uh, one of the heaviest, strongest starts to an album to this day. I still love that. I love to crank that up all the way up in the car and damage my eardrums listening sure. to the first few songs on that album. Oh, so number three is where I put, but here we are. Dang, number, number three. three. Yeah, it may stay there, it may go higher, it may go lower. We'll see over time. Wow. But I have it at number three just because I felt like this was the most, you know, Dave obviously felt like we need to put a pause on rewriting rock music and being the ambassadors for rock. Something more important happened. Let's go be the Foo Fighters like everybody's been asking us to do. Let's just record an album, putting our emotions out there. And I mean, there are some songs like um, Under You. Like if you listen to Under You, even my wife, who does not listen to the Foo Fighters more than the average bear. Like even my wife is like, wow, that's very 90s guitar in the background where it's like, wah, 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 wah. like just very 90s guitar. She said it sounds like it, it came from like our high school or college days. And like so that's, I think, what everybody's been waiting for. And then we talked about just the, the rawness of the lyrics and what everything means, you know, so that's why I ranked it number three. Yeah, dude. Uh, I, I was afraid number five was going to be too high for me, but you went at number three, and I think it could get there for me one day. I, I think it's only going to get better and better. It's so impressive uh, that they were able to come out with that. Uh, number three for me, you had it a long time ago, and I was very shocked about this. In Your Honor is my number three okay. of all time. Uh, maybe it's just time of life, but uh, I don't know, man. I, 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 I think... Not only do I think every song is great, I think I just really appreciate the experimentation of it and that they were able to do it, put out this double album, both sides of, of their personality of who they are and have it not be overindulgent, not have it be cheesy, not have it be too much, but have it work and have it click come together. I don't think there's any bad songs on there. So I, I appreciate the achievement of it. And uh, I just you know um i think it's their most impressive work uh as a whole as an album experimentally um and that's why i have it at, at number three and just some all-time classic songs on there it doesn't get old listening to it uh which a double album easily could I, I can attest to that it does not get old um yeah number two for me wasting light which i know you put back there dude uh, i 
it it could have been top three for me at one point. This was a hard list to make, and that was yeah, that was a hard one. Like hard the album is, uh, hardest album since the '90s. I thought about the four Grammys. I thought about the uh, documentary and how they did everything analog, and they were trying to put the human element back in music. It was just like. I love that. And I might be a little biased too because of the limo and my whole limo story and everything that went on then, but I love that CD and that whole time. Absolutely, man. All right, top two. This was extremely hard for me. Honestly, top three. Like I, I thought about putting in your honor at number one, you know, at some points, um, which is again, I was surprised at how low it was for you. But um, man, I, yeah. Okay, I, I, I'm I'm saying n- number two for me is there's nothing left to lose. Um, they, nice. you ask me tomorrow, it might be number one. But um, right. it, it, like I said, it's the first one that I came into fully that drew me into them as a fan. And yeah, it is poppy, but I but I love how poppy it is, sure. and I love how like Dave Grohl can't not write a, a great hook to a song, or a great chorus to a song, and I think that's what that's what makes Foo Fighters different than Nirvana in a lot of ways is like, yeah, um, Kurt Cobain would probably, you know, throw up at the idea of writing a pop song or, or a great hook to it. And Dave Grohl just embraces it and goes with it. Um, and that is all over this album. Again, the, no skips on here. Every song just is so fun. It's so much, so nostalgic to me to listen to this album back. I just had a smile on my face listening to it back uh, this past week. Uh, I hadn't listened to it in a while and uh, it's great. Gosh, I remember watching, uh, I remember watching them play stacked actors on Conan O'Brien in my dorm room TV with the bunny ears and it's all staticky. Oh my gosh. Great memories, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, number one, it has to be right. Color and the shape, right? It has to be. And as much as I talk about, you know, Everlong is not their greatest hit, at least not for me, you know, but I, I understand that it's hard to deny Everlong and Monkey Wrench and My Hero. And I mean, wow. I mean, they, they, the jump that they made even from CD1 to CD2 with The Color and the Shape, even that was huge in a two-year span when they became a band and started collaborating, although Dave was the boss. Um, man, you can't deny that... Uh, that cd at all the color and the shape it is number one it put them on the map it made them recognizable it is what it is it's number one yeah yeah it is their their masterpiece uh it is the one you know they'll they'll be remembered for and they'll keep going back to and the song is going to be played on classic rock radio forever (laughs) um that their biggest hits are from there it is what put them on the map cemented them as rock and roll hall of famers uh and it again I, i feel like it still sounds brand new. It doesn't sound dated at all to me. Um, it has all the different elements. It has the slow songs. It has the, you know, acoustic songs, but it has Dave screaming through Bunky Wrench and it, and it has the heavy rock stuff on there. Um, it is the, you know, quintessential Foo Fighters album. It's It's got to be number one, even though I wanted to put some other things up there and debated it. It is, uh, it is the, chalk choice but it is it's what you got to go with right i wanted to be cool and trendy and put like wasting light at one or something yeah because I, I i loathe when everybody's like 90s foo fighters is the best and not current foo fighters is not as good and it's like yeah you get tied into your the music that was popular during your formative years so emotionally you're invested in the 90s you know or the aughts i guess depending on your age but like 
it just makes too much sense. Color and the shape has to be number one. It has to be. Well, uh, man, I like. I, I'm glad we we ended on the same note. We definitely had some different uh, differentiation there uh, between there. I hope you don't judge me too much for any of my choices. <laughs> Likewise, so, I've been I've been nervous all week thinking about recording this, thinking like, I'm not I'm not gonna be up to his level. So. Uh, <laughs> I hope you I hope you still like me after this. And uh, I hope all of you out there, all of everybody in the pod street crew, all our creatures of the night. I hope you enjoyed this little just uh, fun journey with uh, one of our, um, you know, uh, biggest friends of the show. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of crossover uh, as far as musical tastes between some of our listeners of this show. And you know, this was just a fun little bonus thing to throw on your podcast feed. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Uh, like I said, we will be back to our regular scheduled programming, uh, talking about the greatest professional wrestling character of autism, The Undertaker, on July 1st. Uh, Travis White is going to be back here joining me. Then we're going to go back to the 90s, to the glory days of the Foo Fighters. Uh, you know, you're probably listening to The Color and the Shape before you turned on WCW Nitro and WWF Raw in July of 1998. Uh, and that's what we're going to watch along uh, the main events of, I believe it's July 6th, 1998, when Goldberg defeated Hulk Hogan. And then when The Undertaker as Kane defeated Mankind to become the number one contender for the WWF Championship. We're going to compare and contrast those two main events, uh, mainly because Travis was at that Georgia Dome show 25 years ago when he was in the sixth grade. Um, so we're going to uh, relive that, reminisce about that different sort of experimental talking taker episode, if you will, going back to that. So please check us out there uh, and let us know what you thought of this. Do you want to hear mu- more just random music talk on some bonus episodes? Do you what, what other kind of fun experimenting can we do? We just we just want to hang out uh, and chat and uh, hopefully provide some entertainment for you in your podcast feed. Uh, please let us know. Hit us up at Talking Taker on all the social medias. And, of course, hit up and follow at Pokey's Little Dog, Randy Turco. Uh, Randy, tell us uh, what's going on with you. What's uh, Where can people follow you and uh, where can people hear you? Uh, well, my at Pokey's Little Dog, you're right, at Pokey's Little Dog is a Foo Fighters callback. Uh, Dave Grohl wrote an instrumental, Pokey's Little Puppy. Uh, too long for AOL Instant Messenger back in the day, so I shortened it to Pokey's Little Dog. And it's all it's AOL's followed, fault. Yeah, it's followed me into Twitter, which again, I probably should have done at Randy Turco, but here we are. Oh, it can never leave. At Pokey's Little Dog. I need to get back into my, I over the last couple of weeks, having everything happen, I've uh, been shirking on my responsibilities on This Week in Treadmill Horror. I think I missed last two or three Fridays just uh-huh. because everything going on in my life. So going to get back at it this Friday and talking about all the awesome horror movies or maybe not so awesome horror movies that I've watched <laughs> uh, during the week. And then Steven Zeman and I doing the um, doing the gimmick watch-alongs for the uh, uh, gimmick match watch-alongs for The Undertaker with his uh, Collecting Dead Man podcast. It's kind of a spinoff that we've done covering all of the gimmick matches The Undertaker has done on TV, pay-per-view. Gosh, we've been doing it for maybe a year. We did title wins first. And right. we've been doing this for maybe a year. And we're still, we haven't even touched Hell in a Cell, really. And we haven't touched casket matches yet because we're scared because there's so many of them. So uh, this is like a four-year project. I don't. I, Joe Biden probably will not be the president when we're done with this. <laughs> yeah, you could you could definitely space it out long enough if you want to. Uh, and I believe you guys are going to do the you're going to dip into the Hell in a Cell for uh, Undertaker Mankind 25 year anniversary for the next episode. 
yeah, in the next week or two, uh, towards the end of June, we'll record and we'll do uh, 25th anniversary of the Hell in a Cell and do some other awesome Undertaker Mankind moments. Excellent. Go check out Collecting Dead Man podcast. Be sure to give that a follow. I always look forward to them uh, and I uh, look forward to having those in my podcast feed. And also, what, be on the lookout. You'll be hearing and seeing more of Randy on Talking Taker channel because I am going to have the pleasure of meeting Randy Turco in the flesh, in real life. We are going to finally have the IRL connection at SummerSlam 2023. We can't wait. We will uh, uh, meet you and Steven. Uh, We have been planning. We've been plotting. Uh, There's going to be some bonus podcasting going on that weekend, some bonus vlogging going on. You were going to take us on a tour of Detroit. Uh, You got some toy shops picked out, I believe, at least one. Uh, Maybe a record store thrown in there. Uh, We are crossing our fingers that uh, the dead man will announce a one dead man show. Uh, that was, that's a big crux of why we did this trip. Uh, right. it, it won't be a flop if that doesn't happen, but boy, uh, it would be great if he would go ahead and do that. Uh, he announced those uh, UK shows, but uh, so I think, we, I think we're in the clear uh, to do another Foo Fighters song. I think we're in the clear. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, look out for that in the month of August. More bonus content with Randy here on the Talking Taker YouTube channel. And be sure to listen to all of Randy's previous appearances on the show. Most recently on that Manscaped bonus episode, strutting and cutting with the Undertaker's uh, shaving a haircut. Two bits. Uh, Alex, can I ask one lightning round question to close Bring it on. Off? The one lightning round question I had for you. We just talked about the Foo Fighters and concerts and bands and music for the last... I don't even know. Two hours. Yep. Going to a concert. Is it? And now we're all grown men. You can. This is America. You can wear what you want, of course. But is it a fashion faux pas to wear the band's t-shirt to their concert? It absolutely is. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no. Here's here's the only exception. Okay. If you are going to see a legacy act which I would consider Foo Fighters to be at this point because they've been around for 30 years. If you can wear like a badass old school t-shirt, that is okay. Like if I see a t-shirt where I'm like, I respect that. You didn't just buy that. I, I, I definitely am never okay with you buy the shirt at the merch stand and you change into it. Um, you know, if, if you do that, that's your thing. Again, like you sure. said, it's, you can do what you want. Uh, as long as you're comfortable, I don't care. You know, I'm not going to, you know, that's but but i'm not gonna do that but your collection and i'm not just saying that to you but literally your collection of food fighters shirts and your rubber made you bust out that old school futos shirt that's literally from 1995 i will think that's awesome if you're wearing that at a concert right. um but not the one you bought at the merch stand not the one you bought at target there's just like the ff on there get out of here don't wear that to the show sure <laughs> I, I never I never heard of this uh, phenomenon until my wife told me that. And I've had a couple of friends agree with her. And I'm like, I, I treat it like a sporting event. I wear the jersey yeah. of the team I'm rooting for. If yeah. I come to the show, I'm wearing their shirt. Now, I agree, though. It wouldn't be from the last tour or from five years ago. I'm going to bring the 1995 I've been here since day one proof to the I, show. I love that. I actually, yeah. like, when I see Bruce Springsteen... Uh, and I see people that actually have a shirt from the 70s or 80s, and you can wow. tell you can tell it's not a repro. You can tell that's a real shirt, um, and they were probably there. It's not like some teenage girl, but it's actually like sure. a 
a, you know, a dude with white hair and a white beard. I love that. I'm, I'm here for that. So yeah, wait, there, there's a there's a happy medium. I feel. Yes. Okay, I'll take that. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, let us know your thoughts, listeners. Uh, tell, uh, d- dive into that debate. Let us know your opinion on it. And, uh, you know, like I said, we'll be back. Let us know what you thought of this. Give us your Foo Fighters album rankings. Tell us whose were the better list, who you agree with more. And, uh, Randy, I'll, I'll let you close it out. So let's try this in here. Oh, we should have thought about Foo Fighters one. Um, oh, dang it. I, well, I spoke, by the way, I spoke this podcast into his existence. So I look forward to the Kiss or JFK version that we'll be doing uh, five years from now, by the way. So I'll start pushing for that. But until that time comes, ladies and gentlemen, take her easy. And actually, I think the one thing that I probably, if you could ask me one of my highlights of being in this band over the last 15 years, we were on tour with Bob Dylan opening up for him with our acoustic thing. And about two or three days into the tour, someone came up and said, hey Dave, uh, Bob wants to talk to you. And I was like, Bob who? He said, Dylan, he wants to talk to you. I'm like, oh my God, what did I do? Did I say something wrong or what? He's like, no, 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 just, he's right over there. I'm like, oh shit. So I look in the mirror, make sure I look good, you know. And I walk down the hallway, and they're like, yeah, he's just right around that corner. He's right there. He was in this hockey arena in Canada. So I look around the corner. It's this dark hallway. And there he is. I just see his silhouette. And he's standing against a wall. And he's got on a black leather jacket, black hoodie, black leather pants, and black leather boots. And he's standing there in the dark. I was like, oh, this is good. <laughs> So I walked up and I said, hey, man. He said, hey, how's it going? Thanks for being on the tour. He was a really nice guy. And we were talking and talked about his book and stuff. And then he said, uh, "He said, man, what's that song that you guys got? It says, uh, um, only thing I ever ask of you is not to promise, not to stop. When I say when. And I said, oh, yeah, that song Everlong. He's like, he goes, he goes man, you got to show that to me. I, I want to start doing that song. I just thought, you know what? I'm done. So, this one's for Bob. And thank you very much for coming out tonight, you guys.